Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER, for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. Cal, uh, your hat is... um. Almost not even on. Well, I had to jack it up because get these earphones on. That's what's going on there? Yeah. But it's like you cold, got like a man. shop rag on top of your head. Yeah. <laughs> Check I have this. no hair. Uh, here, here's one. We're going to get into medical. We have a special doctor. You know, hey, Would you call yourself a special doctor? Uh, no, I would say I'm an emergency medicine physician, but you can, my mom thinks I'm special. We're going to talk about one thing, then we're going to get into things that are, are medical ish because we have a doctor with us yes sir introduce yourself real quick my name is alan lazara and i am an emergency medicine physician from michigan i work in jackson michigan at henry ford allegiance health and um live part of my life in michigan then mostly in chicago and then now back in michigan so i think of you as uh, i've begun to think of you as our resident doctor because you write in a lot of times with really good medical information that is a huge honor and nod, and all I can say is you guys produce so much excellent material that I, I'm i just honored to be able to uh, have a small saying in uh, this situation. So Great. Did, they, did yeah. you take ethics when you were in med school? Um, so it's built in. We have um, – in med school, I went to Loyola in Maywood, Illinois, which um, I think is the best medical school in the country for sure because I just – it was the best educational experience that I had um, in my career. And we talked about patient-centered medicine, and part of that was learning how to communicate with people, both emotionally, 
um, and through like difficult situations and how to deliver bad news and stuff like that. And ethics was built into that. Yeah. Good. Cause here's the ethics. Here's an ethics conundrum. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. I got to say that it's being, from a listener. being an ER doctor, my, my, uh, sometimes you're, you're riding the line on, on ethical situations all the time. So yeah, well, you can stay silent on this one or you can weigh in. Okay. Dude writes in. It, this is complicated because it involves a buck with three antlers, but he doesn't like acknowledge <laughs> how unusual a three antlered buck is. Okay. It involves a buck with three antlers. Guy in Virginia is a bunch of brothers. Okay. One of the brothers hunting in Virginia shoots a three antlered buck. Okay. Talking about three points? Talking about like two no, on one man, side and one on well, Brody just sent me a photo of a three-antlered elk. Like yeah. a unicorn and a deer put together. Three, yeah. b- three bases. Like okay. Two right. on one, two separate. Well, it's like a triceratops. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you or go. Or a unicorn and a deer, a, yeah, combo. Had intercourse. Shoots a, shoots a three-antlered buck. Mm-hmm. Um, it falls over. He thinks it's dead. He runs up, and, and then uh, he gets, starts getting set up to take a photo of it, and it gets up and runs off. Scary situation. Yeah. It happened to Yanni once. Gets up and runs off. Tries trailing it, can't find the thing anywhere. Month goes by. On Christmas Day, his brother, so the hunters, there's this collection of brothers, and some, several of them play into the story. Christmas Day, his brother is out in the cattle field and finds a recently dead buck. Mm-hmm. It has, at this point, shed its two antlers. Okay. But one of the third antler <laughs> is still on the deer. And that's how they're able to be. That's how they're able to ascertain. Hey, that's the buck that my brother killed. Mm-hmm. But when he killed it, it had three and it naturally shed. So it has clean pedicles where two of the three antlers have fallen off. Mm-hmm. It's all mauled up, been getting fed on by coyotes. But they can find a wound mark on the neck, even though the hide is, you know, in rough shape. Then the hunt is on for the antlers. So you got now, you got the brother that shot it. You got the brother that finds the dead carcass with the one antler. So he's got a skull with the antler sticking out of it. This is getting biblical, I feel like. Yeah, in it some is. Way. <laughs> or it's like three brothers. Yeah. So... The other brother is like a real antler hound, he explains. And this brother manages to go out and find the shed antlers. Okay. (laughs) Now there's a custody battle where the brother that shot it and lost it is making the thing that it's all his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have a rule in our family that (laughs) we have three children who, who I love very much. We have a rule that if a toy is not being played with at that time, um, <laughs> it is not yours. So it is uh, community property. So I would say since he was not handling it at that time, the person who found it, it's theirs. I think that everybody keeps what they found. Exactly. The guy that, sh- the guy that like winged it. Yeah. Dude. He lost it. It's like, that was you have, like you're not even in the conversation. Yeah. You've got no claim to that thing at For that sure. point. Mm-mm. No way. The fact that he thinks he gets it all. Is it? I guarantee that's the older. That's the older brother, right? That did that. You know, he doesn't get into who's oldest and who's youngest. That's an older brother kind of statement. That's mine. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the guy. I think everybody just keeps what keeps what 
the guy that found the antlers found the antlers. They're his. Mm-hmm. Now, there's like what should, now, there's plenty of room in here for people to just be nice and whatever. But we're not talking about that. I, I think there's like in, a, like in like, uh, the, the, like, you know, the meat eater court, I would say legally, everybody just keeps what they have. If you guys want to be like all nice and cool and everything and give other people stuff or whatever, that's nothing to do with what should happen. That's just you being a nice guy. Yeah. Think about that, Cal. Man, I got this story about a dude who left a bunch of firewood on my deck. Oh, this is a good story. <laughs> yeah, I was there that day. Tell that story. Oh, yeah. So I got this place in Ketchum, and there was a guy uh, running it prior to me. And um, the real estate agent's like, yeah, guy wants to know if he can leave his firewood on the deck for two weeks. Mm. And being as I knew that there was a lot of work to be done on the place and I didn't want this guy to be all spiteful. Um, I was like, yeah, no problem. Two weeks. That's great. But let him know that I'm going to be like tearing that deck apart. Cause it was about to fall off anyway. Um, which I took me forever to get around to about three and a half years to be exact, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was the deal. Two weeks. Well, like a year later, no, that's, that's an exaggeration. It takes, that was in June, the end of October. Yep. The very end of October, uh, the guy shows up, uh, and he's like, yeah, I want to talk to you about my wood. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, that ship sailed. And I had already <laughs> cut yeah. a bunch of firewood. And uh, and move the whole pile and move the entire pile um, at the request of the HOA, who was like, "Yeah, so sorry, the guy who was a renter. We kept asking him to move this thing. He never did. Do you think you could, you know, start fresh and move the?" I was like, "Yeah," <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's like the. Uh, Didn't he then try to get you to pay him for it? I remember you guys were having a little argument and I was standing yeah. out talking to someone in your driveway. Yeah, that was a real comfortable situation. So he's like, well, <laughs> you need to pay me for that wood then. And I was like, great. You need to pay me for the eight loads of your crap I had to take to the dump yeah, yeah. from the house. Eight truck and four-wheeler, tra- like a eight-foot by six-foot wide four-wheeler trailer. Eight loads, truck and trailer combo. To the dump. I'm sure that was really friendly. Before exchange. I could even <laughs> like sleep in the place. Had you run any of his wood through your uh through no. stove yet? No. It's 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 odd how he showed up right about the time it gets cold and you need <laughs> that wood. Yeah. But yeah, so it's like when in my mind his claim to that wood left uh left somewhere around the first load of stuff to the dump and well beyond the two-week mark. And His dream of getting his wood back must have been a pretty fragile dream because he never came back and pursued it anymore, did he? I think uh, he just kind of gave it a Hail Mary and... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was not, uh, wasn't, wasn't great. But in regards to, hey, I remember those antlers. Thanks for... Spending a day out there looking for antlers and picking them up. I'll take those back now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't really stack up with me either. Maybe that guy didn't come back because he was intimidated by your mustache. 
<laughs> and how masculine you are. I um, I didn't get that sense from him. No. <laughs> no. I think he just walks around in the middle of the day a little bit drunk. Is the sense I got. Um, we're talking about a guy wrote in about getting his nipple bit by a bluegill and bleeding all over. Mm-hmm. And I said, man, this guy doesn't know one fish from the other. And I thought he got bit by a northy, a northern that was hunting bluegills. Mm-hmm. This guy from Oregon said, man, he's telling me, you don't know what you're talking about. He says he was swimming seven years ago. He was swimming in a small pond in Oregon. And the only fish in the pond was bluegills, a stocked pond. He says he got bit on the nipple by a bluegill, and he said it felt like getting bit by a Rottweiler. <laughs> Drew a lot of blood. So they do have a very small roll of teeth so that they can eat human nipples. He so, says it's the prana of the north. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very oh. sensitive tissue area. Yeah, it yeah. must be. Did you sure. see uh, somebody's been releasing piranha, probably aquarium piranha that just got too big for them to handle? The second one found in the same lake in BC that somebody caught. No. But like full on. But they're not going to winter up there, are they? That's what the biologist said is like, listen, they're going to die this winter, but that doesn't mean go releasing piranha into a lake. Yeah. 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 They're good to eat, man. Really? Oh, dude, they're really good. Huh. Yeah. Red piranha, black piranha. Is it like a perch? No, it's like a... You know, it's like a lot of those fish down there, it has like, you know, it's like a, like a firm white ocean fish type flesh on prana. Very good. Nice. And they got like, and they split their head, you know, you split their head and cook them. Yeah. I ate them in, uh, one time in Argentina, then I ate them in Bolivia and Guyana. Nice. Yeah. They take them and like, you cut a flay off, then you tip the fish on his nose and so you got like, not a flay, but it's like a fish on the half shell. Split all the way through his head because they, they, they got the real meaty head with big cheeks in it. And being as you were in these awesome situations, do you think that piranha would be just as tasty here in Bozeman, Montana? Oh, yeah. You do. Really? For sure, man. Okay. Very good. Yeah. They like the black piranha the most because they're big. You know, you get like three, four, five pound black piranha. Wow. Yeah, biggins. Um, did you talk about this lady that bit a camel? On the testicles? I skipped that one. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting story where there's like a woman from Florida, a Florida woman, and her and her old man stop at a wildlife, like a truck stop, wildlife truck stop in Louisiana. And somehow or another, like they throw a dog treat in there for the animals, mm-hmm. but their dog sees them throw a dog treat. You went after it. Yeah. And he runs in there and gets into a scuffle. <laughs> so then they run in there, even though there's a sign saying don't run in there. They run in there and get into a scuffle with a camel. And she bites him on the sack. <laughs> the cops get involved in this. They said the camel's not at fault. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> understand how that was the first available part to bite let alone sat on her. yeah how oh, it she somehow got under it and it sat on her oh uh this is medical this is this is sort of medical sure you'll see the connection guy asks let's say you go hunting and you're in a cwd area and you shoot a buck and you're like oh, i'm not gonna eat that buck 
Is it still okay to get it uh, mounted? So I don't know. He doesn't mean safety wise. Oh, like oh that he would get contract WD like, from having it in his house. That's not his concern. Oh, he never thought about it. But his kids said, "If we can't like eat it, uh, and it's and it's like got a sickness, why would we get it stuffed? Because it doesn't seem like." So the main. I get what he's saying. So the main tissue. So I thought about this. No, no, no. It's not a safety issue. Not a safety issue. He's not proposing it as a safety issue. Can he still put it on the wall and be proud of it? Yeah. Kind of thing. Oh. He never he says, I never connected taxidermy to consumption. But now a 13-year-old has me all twisted up about this. I don't think I'd mount the animal if I couldn't eat it. This is him talking. European mount? I would absolutely do the European mount. And I'd point at it when people came over and I'd be like, see that? So, And I'd be like, that deer had... CWD. So the only problem with that, and not to bring it to the safety issue, but when I've done my own European mounts, it involves boiling the head, and then, I, them. and then I use a power sprayer to basically spray the brains out after they've been all liquefied. Mm-hmm. And I've been on my sidewalk in Ann Arbor with people walking their dogs by uh, and a skull on the sidewalk. and uh, But you're spraying brain all over the place, right? And so that's yeah. the number one tissue. It's a brain, spinal cord, lymph nodes, and bone or bone marrow. So if you're making a European mount on an animal that has known CWD, you're getting probably some of the highest exposure you could as far as particles flying around. And obviously there's no human cases that have been documented, but if that, was, if that was me, I would, not want, I would not be power spraying that thing in my house. I would probably just discard the animal, unfortunately. You know, the power spraying thing is interesting because a buddy of mine over in Whitehall Montana just texted me the other day, curious about that same thing. Sure. Because he had, he was going to go hunt in an area. He was going to hunt an area where there's been some CWD cases. Mm-hmm. And he was like, even besides the meat and everything, man, like, what about when when I have my kid go out and clean the skull? Yeah. He's I, like, he's just saying, I don't know if I want anything to do with that stuff. Well, you have the animal tested. And the, the scary thing is from the other podcast you guys have talked about, that Doug Dern talked about where they will test animals. They say it's a non-positive test, which... To me, I really like things when they're certain, kind of zero or one. And a non-positive is kind of a soft way of saying, yeah, it's okay. We're not super sure. It doesn't look like it's positive now. Um, So that would make me real uncomfortable um, if you're hunting in a high prevalence area, you know, even in dealing with that kind of meat. You know, if you're hunting in southeast Wisconsin, that would be very So give me an example of this. Is this like um, you turn in a lymph node and they're like... Mm -hmm. Yes, there are n- there are no CWD prions in this lymph node. Correct. But wish we would have got a piece of the brain. I, I and I'm not a a biologist. I can't say for certain. But from what I remember hearing, they they just give you a non positive result, meaning that they don't see anything now. Um, and because they say that the deer can be asymptomatic for up to two years. Yeah, before you could they... shoot a forky, and yeah, two years later he's. Mm-hmm. That's not positive. And... Right. So um, the cases of prion illness that we've seen in hospital are the highest rate of transmission are to neurosurgeons because they're dealing with brain tissue. So if the neurosurgeons, um, if there's a, a, a you know middle-aged lady who comes in with this kind of Alzheimer's type weird uh, acute decline and they're concerned about uh, CWD or um, not CWD, but uh, Crutzfeld Jakob disease, yeah. right? Which is a prion human transmission. That's like a human variation of these spongiform encephalopathies. The 
the hospitalists, the people managing the care will want a biopsy of the brain to, to send a pathology and see if there's prions in it or characteristics as such. And they are very reluctant to want to do that. It's a nightmare for them. They don't want to, they don't want to do that if they can do it a different way. So they'll do a, um, an EEG, which is like uh, an EKG for your brain to check if you have certain patterns. So it's a non-invasive way of testing for that. But point of story is that people who are operating on people's brains who might have these kinds of illnesses are, are not, not super psyched about doing it because they're sawing through bone, dust is getting into the air. And so they are concerned about that. You got to get dressed up like you're working on Ebola patients. I, I don't know. I, I never sat in on a neurosurgery um, myself. You get to select what kind of rotations you do. I did more trauma surgery stuff. But um, yeah, I, I think they have like positive pressure ventilation that they're using. So they're not breathing that air. Um, I would imagine. So that's what I would want. I've been looking for a good segue. I... Uh... To talk about my tooth. <laughs> this is. I damn near. I, I damn near had brain surgery the other day because my tooth is like <laughs> five inches from my brain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got a super sore tooth, and they and I uh, had cracked the root, mm-hmm. and they dug the. Uh, already, you already heard about this, but Cal, did this just happen all of a sudden? Because you were. I went on to a bite hunt. something. Yeah, I went to bite something, and about sent me through the roof. Anyway, they're going. I got a cracked root. And so they pry the whole tooth out of my head, and then they take pliers and pull all three of the root stems out, mm. and then they pack it with cadaver bone. They show me a little bottle. Really? Yeah. Some dude's ground up bone. And I asked them, and everybody must ask this question. I asked them, like, what can you tell me about <laughs> whose bone it is? <laughs> They're like, we don't have information on them. Don't know if he had CWD. But then I had someone else tell me you can find out. I don't know. They said you can find out. Mm. Really? Yeah. I'd like to go over to the house. Oh, that'd be great. Talk to his kid. Be like, if you be listen like, closely. Recognize something? <laughs> Up in my jaw. They pack it full of cadaver bone, powdered cadaver bone, because somehow it affects how your, uh, what your body does with that area, whether or not it like fills it with bone or whether or not it fills it with soft tissue, the space. They want it to grow back bone. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's granular. Mm-hmm. And so at any, right now, in this moment, at any given time, I could work up from under my tongue or on my tongue or whatever, a little, like a large piece of sand <laughs> and spit it out. And it's a hunk of that dude's bone. Unbelievable. I had three of them this morning when I woke up. No. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I've been showing everyone who wants to look. <laughs> Really? I'll show you one, Brody. Oh, yeah. A little chunk of that guy's bone. You swallowed some of them, too. Oh, I've been eating them. Yeah. <laughs> I even crunched some of them up. Unbelievable. <laughs> I crunched them up with my front teeth. Uh, I just don't like the fact that this, I guess, A, I really dislike the fact that this happened on a hunt, so you just started chewing on the other side of your mouth. I was yeah, but even right? then, man, it got worse and worse and worse and worse till I was no longer having fun. If it had happened at the beginning of that hunt, I'd have been screwed, but. I mean, it got to be, like, really painful. Wow. But, man, the cadaver. So your body, is it a reaction from your body, like, being like, this is foreign material, and we got to build something up to get rid of it? Or I can't say exactly why. Um, You're not an oral surgeon. Not an oral surgeon. Not a dentist. But This guy wasn't. Well, this guy's a dentist and an oral surgeon. Which they have to go to a lot of school to be an oral surgeon. So that's a lot. It's like. 
dentistry school plus some medical school, then a fellowship. Um, really? So it's like eight years, I think, but they they do very well, I think, because they're pulling wisdom. Like when I got my oh, wisdom. yeah, then you got like a rolling tool chest with For stuff sure. that looks like you're fixing a car. Dude, I got my to wisdom. Get them teeth out, man. I got my wisdom teeth pulled out, and it was whatever. I don't know, like three thousand bucks or something like that. And I was asking the guy, I'm like, and I was, you know, college kid, and I didn't know anything. And I'm like, how many teeth have you pulled out? Just want to know. He's like, tens of thousands. And I'm like, oh, tens of thousands he times three thousand for sure, man. Those guys because do he does them two, three at a time. Hey, my yeah. grandpa, old do uh, Doc Callahan, oral surgeon, retired. Oh, I didn't know that. yeah, had all crazy history he did his residency at dc general mm-hmm. um but this is a big dude ex uh he played football at carroll college national championship team bunch of broken fingers and you see that guy coming at you and you're like those fingers are going in my mouth <laughs> it's not a pleasant scene as a kid very he's like no i use tools very strong forearms those guys have because they have to crank you know oh this dude out. was muscling yeah. yanni talked about getting his teeth some wisdom teeth pulled out of him Oh, I keep forgetting. Yanni's not here. This is the first. No. <laughs> this is maybe the second. Let me finish something up. Then we want to talk about Yanni's absence. Then we got to start talking about what we're supposed to talk about. What's new? What's uh, anything on the horizon? <laughs> oh, yeah. So Phil <laughs> pulled. <laughs> Phil, the engineer, pulled special clips of Yanni. Man, I forgot about talking about how Yanni's not here. Do you know I missed a podcast once and Yanni did it? I don't remember that. I yeah. remember that one. You did. Oh, I do. Yeah. yeah. Long ago. I missed a podcast and Yanni handled it. Uh, I had a lot of critiques. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then this, Yanni's only missed like one before. He's not here, but this time, uh, Phil, hit, hit another couple, Phil. Let's just think. We, we're going to be able to just like install Yanni where we need him. Go ahead. Have right? my, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see? Or, or I'll say like, uh, what, what's your take on that, Yanni? Look at this. Science at work. <laughs> That's a good one. Very appropriate. Yeah. What do you got? You got 24 options, Phil? 25. You can just hit them at will. Yep. Give, give us a couple more. Just a couple more options. Okay. Let's or you just hit a playlist at random. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So you're on top of that, right, Phil? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got a pretty good one that I'm kind of saving and I'm hoping to whip out later. So. Oh, okay. Yep. Just when, you, when Yanni needs to say a word. He just can butt in. No sense in uh, just he can just butt in and say what he needs to say. Yeah, sounds yeah, good. I, I've always wanted to say this. Yanni's on assignment. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah he's on assignment. He's filming uh, um, He's filming his own uh, special elk hunt in Colorado, for which he, like, what? He, like, had, like, 17 bonus points? Uh, it was, I think it was, like, 10 or 11. No, 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 no. Teens. No. Yes. I'll bet you any amount of money. What's Giannis got to say about that? <laughs> Do you have a clip of Giannis saying 17? If you so, please play it. <laughs> no, I did not get that, that, that specific. I'm sorry. 17. Uh, high teens. I'll I'm bet telling you, you, it's only like 10 or 11. You want to make a bet? Yep. Okay, how much? Five bucks right now? No, like 100. No. Whoa. Uh, exactly. Whoa. 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 Yes. Friendships. You know about the bet Giannis lost to me for $10,000? My dad and I used to do quarter bets. So let's do a quarter bet. Five bucks. That's not, five bucks. Yeah. Yanni lost a $10,000 bet. Was it ten grand? me and Yanni bet one time? Yeah. Something high. Yeah, I had to forgive him. Does he pay you on interest? No, I it? told him to forget about it. Okay. I mean, it was, <laughs> my friendship with Yanni is worth more than uh, ten grand. This is the last medical piece of uh, listener feedback. You got it. He's blaming me on it. This guy's blaming me for, his, uh, for someone winding up in a hospital. <laughs> He went to make uh, our hot buttered buck nuts. 
recipe? Yeah. yeah, I've seen it. If you cook testicles too fast, they burst. Mm. You got to cook them slow. And too hot. Too hot, too yeah. fast, they'll burst. But they always will kind of burst. Right. They'll burst. You ever cook a spawn sack out of a perch or bluegill? <laughs> no. <laughs> Same I shape have. as a nut, and they'll also open up. Yeah, the little membrane splits. Yeah, and like a row sack on a row shad <laughs> will sort of open up and it opens up in the exact same way. It like kind of splits and some stuff. Anyways, they're cooking hot buttered buck nuts. And um, his wife's working on them. She's cooking them. And one blows up so violently that it scalds her eyeballs with hot butter. Mm. She has to go to the ER. Mm. He included a photo of the buck and his wife laying on a hospital bed. Oh, no. I'm sure she was not happy about either of those things. <laughs> no. The photo. And he's like, you're going to have to ex- do a better job explaining how to cook those things. Low and slow. Yeah. All right. We'll get you uh, cooking with uh, that um, uh, chainsaw mask that everybody wears. These <laughs> the visor. You know, the, the, the visor. steel visor. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. I got one of those. What do you think about that, Giannis? I'm yes. with you. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Phil. This one's very specific. Do you want to ask, uh, hey, Giannis, how did you like reading uh, the uh, the cat in the hat to, yeah. to, your, to your kids the other night? Giannis, Giannis. sentences I had to read twice or three times to really make sure I, you know, ingested it pro- properly and knew what was going on there. <laughs> that is very specific. That's what happens when Yanni reads cat in the hat. <laughs> yeah. It takes him a while. So I... <laughs> That was mean. We it's it's possible to, to be really mean to Giannis right now. Oh no, we can do anything we want. Okay, sounds good. Oh, and Brody's here. You you've been talking, but you haven't introduced yourself. Brody Henderson. Yep. The great uh, Brody Henderson. Yeah. Uh senior editor here at Meat Eater. Shot a big old bull with his muzzle loader. Not big, but you know. Yeah, they're big. They're just large. Yeah. C- compared to deer. They're big when you're dealing with them by yourself, man. Yeah. That's a that's some work. Uh okay. Dr. Lazara. Yes, sir. Italian and Sicilian, I noticed you mentioned. It's true. You don't bundle them together? Uh, well, I mean, you know, specifically, because I think you are Sicilian, right? Or you have Sicilian 20, heritage. Yeah, 20, I'm one-fourth Sicilian. It's my, a, but it feels like more than that, because I got the name, mm. and my father was raised by his grandparents who were Sicilian immigrants, so, yeah. you know. It's a specific flavor of Italiano, you know? Like, people say Southern Italian is different than Northern Italian. Northern Italians were traditionally more wealthy. Southern Italians were tended to be looked down upon by the northern Italians. More romantic in the south? I can't, I don't know, I can't, I can't Better speak. Better cooks? I, I've been to Italy and the food's great all over, so, yeah. um, you know. One of our regional. camera guys, Ridge Ponder, was in Sicily. I've been there. Guess what he bought in Sicily? Uh, crucifix. No, he know. bought a pair of Birkenstocks. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, <laughs> hey, he's like, I bought these Birks in Sicily. I'm like, Depend- no one goes... Yeah. Maybe if his shoes exploded or something and he needed, <laughs> needed some impromptu footwear. Okay, let me paint a scenario for you. Mm-hmm. Well, what's most valuable? I heard that you recently, I want to talk about guys falling out of tree stands. Yes, sir. And what's that all, what that all's all about. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about gunshot wounds. Okay. And I want to talk about the most common general maladies, not infectious diseases. We already covered that with another feller. Right. We covered that with the epidemiologist. That is more Maladies yeah. that afflict outdoorsmen and mm-hmm. outdoors women. Correct. Yeah. We can talk so about whatever a, a you term want. That, there's just no perfect term. Hunters in general. Outdoor, yeah, well, outdoors. Yeah, well, well, you what, say, if, what if she's hunting mushrooms? 
Uh, Foragers? I mean, people out, yeah, outside, outdoor door people. People who outdoor are using pe- and exploring nature. I mean. So where do we start? Brody was saying you recently had a guy uh, come into your ER area mm-hmm. that had fallen out of a tree and had opened up his scroll. That was a, uh, a case that happened uh, not too recent, but it was, I think it was about a year ago. He um, was was injured, wasn't wearing, or I think he was wearing his harness, but he didn't, he wasn't clipped into a uh, safety line going up. And he had um, the foot hooks that were in and had and slipped out and it just caught him right. Hold on, back up. He, he had what now? Uh, you know those screw in foot hooks that you that you see them at like Meyer. Yeah, or when we were kids. Yeah, they're that was yeah, it. The, the 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 brand we used was Deer Knees. Uh, I don't know what the brand no, name is. No, Deer Me. Was it Deer Me or Deer Knee? It's like a six inch hook, like an L shape or J shape, and they're they're pretty burly iron or steel, and you screw them in. Seems yeah. very unsafe to me in general, but no, that's what no, they were. Those <laughs> things are not unsafe. But I never used them. But oh, you got one of those things in, man. <laughs> That well, especially once that tree grows around them, they're there forever. Oh, dude, you got to yeah. wrestle them. You had to bring a mallet to get them back out of the tree. Yeah, I like my climber. I feel more safe in the so, climber. So finish now. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> climbs up. Sorry, so he climbs up to the top. So he had his harnesses. So this is something that we see a lot. People will wear their harness. There's a, a couple iterations. People either a don't wear a harness, or b they wear a harness but they don't clip in on the way up or down. Which we know that most of these falls are occurring ascending or descending. Traditionally, is that I mean, true? That's true. So. The data is hmm. is hard. We can speak a little bit about the data around tree stand injuries, which it's an important topic because it's the number one malady that affects hunters it, as far as serious trauma in the Midwest and South. Um, out here, not so much because you guys aren't doing a lot of tree stand hunting. But that's the number one major thing to befall a hunter in the East and South. Correct. Correct. As far as trauma, not gunshot wounds. And because so, this guy did not clip in, mm-hmm. what was the malady that he suffered? So he, when he fell, he fell on the tree hook, lacerated part of his scrotum, and then he hit the ground. Like the tree, you're feet. saying the tree hook was so strong. <laughs> yes. Sir. And had such a purchase on the tree. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That it was able to disembowel his scrotum. Yeah. Well, it didn't pull his testicles out, but it did It did cut part of his scrotum. Yeah. Now, and when Alan told us this, Brody turned to me and said, left a couple acorns up in that tree. <laughs> <laughs> So he he eventually did well. We were, the uh, the doctor that saw him was able to they they sewed him up no problem uh-huh. and uh, you know the wound healing and whatnot. But I he got really lucky. You know he landed on his feet, didn't break his back or his legs. But you know we saw we will see people uh, middle aged, very functional. Um, you know uh, members of society and they will fall and then all of a sudden they're a quadriplegic and they're on hospice. You know. It, it's a heartbreaking situation. You know, how many people in your area? And you said you have high hunter densities in your area. Correct. Yeah, we have about. So I've been talking with the Michigan DNR, getting some numbers, and we have about one hundred fifty thousand people in Jackson County, and we have roughly ten to thirteen thousand individual hunting licenses, which is about ten percent, which is above the national average of of hunters. Because we're talking the highest percentage is eight percent, seven percent hunter participation, and so we have a pretty high. Hunter density in our in our county, um, and um, you know we see everything from lacerations to people accidentally getting their eardrum blown open because they're, you know, not using gun safety, not using eyes oh, and ears. Is that right? Yeah, I saw a guy who came in. Um, they were messing around with a a pistol, and his 
it, so it wasn't specifically a hunting injury, but it was a firearms injury and okay. his buddy just let it loose right when he was standing right next to him and it blew open his eardrum, just totally perforated. Oh. Super painful. What happens then? So uh, my understanding is if it's wide open, obviously no swimming or anything because you get water in there and your inner ear is then exposed and you don't want an infection to develop. It'll heal or not heal? Depends how large the, um, it's like a, a drum head. So depending on how large the injury is, it can seal over and then you kind of have a chronic weak spot or they can put a patch over it and create a new eardrum for you. So you see ear, nose, and throat, Doc, and they tell you that kind of stuff. So touching off a pistol next to his buddy's head ruptures his eardrum. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty impressive. Completely ruptured it. And it was, he was in a ton of pain. I mean, he was like a 25-year-old guy. The H-E and the head, ear, eyes, nose, and throat, H-E-E-N-T stuff, very painful because there's a lot of nerve endings in your face, your ears, your nose, like your tooth. I mean, we see a lot of people who have bad teeth from you know, not brushing, drinking too much Mountain Dew and smoking. And they come in in excruciating pain. It's it's really, I have, my heart goes out to them, unfortunately. I was with a buddy of mine yesterday and we were talking about floss in your teeth. Yeah. And uh, he said, last time he's in the dentist, they asked him when the last time he flossed his teeth was. And he said to the dentist, I don't know, when was I in here last? <laughs> <laughs> they came out, that's a good point. So they came out with some, so they've been pushing the flossing thing for a long time. And they came out with some sort of, some study that said there's no definitive evidence that flossing prevents, um, you know, decay or tooth loss or whatever. That nah, can't be true. It's bullshit. I've been I flossing every, well. I think. You know what my dentist told me? So. Yeah, go ahead. No, you tell me. So I'm saying, I, I asked you. You tell me and, what your dentist said. <laughs> I have a problem with interrupting, so I, I should, go ahead. No, go ahead. So tell even, me what he said. Even though, even though there is a research study that came out and said that, you don't need a research to wear a parachute jumping out of a plane. You don't need research study. So you can bend research to tell it what you want it to tell you. So Yeah, it's it like the doctors sense. at the tobacco companies hire. For sure. For sure. <laughs> So you you just use common sense. Like, is this good? It's like 30% of your tooth surface is in between your teeth. So why not clean it, you know? So anyway. Is that right? Yeah. Well, the guy explained to me when I was asking him what's up with flossing. And he, because I was saying, well, I'm not religious about it. I floss a fair bit. Fair, floss yeah. four or five times a week. Yeah. He was telling me, my dentist, who's a hunter, mm. and my oral surgeon's a hunter. Mm-hmm. My dentist but and my oral surgeon both like to hunt. So you have a lot of trust. And uh, my knee doctor likes to hunt. There you go. But I don't need him, so I only went once and he said my knee's fine. So I don't know if he counts as my knee doctor. Talk about that later, too. But uh, uh, what was I getting at? Oh, why flossing? Mm. He said that, that there are communities of bacteria mm. that set up shop on your teeth. Mm-hmm. And they're always trying to set up shop on your teeth. Mm-hmm. When you floss, you interrupt the mm-hmm. setting up of shop. Mm-hmm. And the longer they get, and this is just in a matter of days, mm-hmm. the more tenacious the more tenaciously they can bind to the tooth. So he's saying by flossing every day, it's a convenient spacing of time to interrupt them from setting up shop in a way that makes them harder to get off. So it's not like you can catch up. Like, it's like, if you don't floss Monday, well, I'll just floss on Thursday. Yeah. By then, they've adhered themselves in a way that just mere floss is going to have a hard time dislodging. But by keeping on that daily schedule, you're keeping them off before they can harden. Yeah, they. I mean, I always ask why, whenever I go to get your teeth clean, I'm always like, why do you have to use the same medieval-type instruments to scrape my mouth like they used, you know, 80 years ago? 
but they're saying they're getting off that hardened plaque at the gum line. And yeah. like, no matter how much you brush and that just happens with our diet. And, you know, um, I think it's a good litmus test. I always ask people who are in the dental field, how often they floss. And then I can kind of gauge how often I should probably floss. So oh, if they give, you, they give you two to three times a week, then I feel like that's probably pretty good. But they're know? not giving you that. No, they'll say that. The honest ones will. They don't, some of them are fanatic and they floss twice a day, but. But you think, yeah, I got you. I'll do every two, three days. What, uh, just to wrap up the tooth conversation, Sorry, you gave yeah. us a great hot tip on tooth that if you, I had this happen, my my brother shot my tooth out with a blowgun when I was 10. A blowgun? Yeah. With what, a rock? No, we would take uh, aluminum arrows, okay? Mm-hmm. And we'd cut the ends off them. And you remember what a light bright? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Light bright peg. Well, that's not, well, it's, it's more complicated. So there's a light bright peg, and a light bright peg fit an aluminum arrow wonderfully. Mm-hmm. And it was a very effective, accurate projectile to shoot off an aluminum arrow. Oh, okay. But it just so happened that a buddy of ours down on West Lake named Davey Cole, his old man worked in a ball bearing factory. Yeah. All right. And he had access to all <laughs> diameters of ball bearings. And so my <laughs> brother came into some ball bearings that fit that aluminum arrow perfectly. Mm-hmm. And we do a thing called a machine gun where you would fill your mouth full of those ball bearings and then just start blowing and using your tongue to feed the bearings into the aluminum tube. Sounds like a Tom and Jerry episode. Oh, and you could get up and just rip someone <laughs> like, you could rip someone from crotch to eyeball with a stream of ball bearings on a good breath. Yeah. And he, uh, we would wear goggles, but no one thought to wear mouth protection. Yeah. But he shot the tooth clean off. Wow. Snapped it in half. And that exposed nerve. Mm-hmm. I was saying how, I was saying that this exposed nerve, even breathing would hurt. Mm-hmm. And you had a hot tip. For, this is for people out in the field. This mm-hmm. is like what we're here to talk about. Sure. A broken tooth and that exposed nerve. You mm-hmm. can do what to help make it feel better? So um, so I've read and done. Uh, we'll see people for various kinds of oral trauma. They'll come in with a tooth half cracked off. And, you know, they really need a, a, a dentist or oral surgeon, right? But they come in at 3 a.m. They're not, they don't have access to that. They got to wait till tomorrow or the next day or whatever. So to help mitigate some of that pain, um, you can put uh, cyanoacrylate, which is uh, super glue, basically, over that nerve. So you get the area really dry and then put the super glue on and then blow on it so it dries real quick. It seals the nerve over. And, um, you know, you're messing with the native tooth, but when, what the dentist is going to do is grind it down to a post, probably, try and save the nerve and then put a cap on it. So whatever you put on that remaining tooth is going to get ground off anyway. You know, they have other materials you can use, like Copac and, and other things in a dental box we keep in the ED. Um, but that works pretty effectively. You probably need antibiotics too because you got to expose nerve. Mm, can get uh, infected. Could get infected, yes. they recommend JB Weld? Uh, nothing's going to get through good. that. Super glue is going to look better because it's clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, yeah, we use super glue all the time. The stuff we use in the medical field is, you know, for, you know, we use it for skin lacerations on the face and stuff. And, and for, fa- I use it all the time on my fingers. The stuff we use in the hospital is about, they say five times stronger than the stuff you buy at the store, but I use the stuff I buy at the store all the time for little cuts on my fingers. Cause I don't like walking around with cuts. Yeah, know? I carry super glue in my kit, my mm-hmm. little hunting kit bag, those single serving tubes. Yeah, that's a good because they always get clogged up. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden you're dealing with a like a clogged tip, and 
some goo in there that you can't really get to. Man, between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it's never ending. I'm talking about the, the, the subscriptions, the monthly dings on your credit card. Well, thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app. It goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. Meaning, you know, like, let's say there's like a show that comes out and you want to watch it and you wind up doing like this free trial and you forget about it. And then two years later, you realize you're paying those hosers 12 bucks a month for something you don't use. It finds that stuff, cancels it. It helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings instead. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on Onyx, and I'll look at the topography, and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them, to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do? For your family this spring, you can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. It's policygenius.com. So what's the proper way if you get a cut? How do you tell? Here's a couple of questions. Is there more to say about falling out of trees before we talk about this next thing? I would say, you know, since this is around the time where we have a lot of people hunting um, in the Midwest, you know, 
using tree stands, I would I would appeal to everybody to know that the number one injury would be falling out of a stand, not a firearm injury. You know, gun safety is extremely important. You know, we see those tragic injuries, um, but the thing that you're more likely to encounter is somebody falling out of a stand. So review a DVD, YouTube video, something, wear your harness. You know, you want to live to hunt another day. You don't want to be paralyzed or with a broken pelvis laying in the forest. It's It's really important that people do that, I think. Yeah, so, I have a bad habit of, getting in the tree and then putting the harness on once I have, I'm settled. I have seen, I saw a guy who came in, he came in for like a, a colitis or a bowel infection. And I was talking to him and I said, you got some nasty looking scars on your belly. He's like 65. He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, what's that from? Just kind of shooting the shit with him. And he goes, well, I fell out of a tree stand. I'm like, how? And of course my interest peaks up and I'm sorry, asking him lots of questions. Like, how'd that happen? And he goes, well, I got to the top of the tree stand and put my harness on and I slipped out, putting it on like while he's in the top. And he was also on a blood thinner and it was, he, you know, oh. fractured his spleen. It was amazing. He lived. And then the real bomb hit, he goes, yeah, it was actually the second time that happened to me. And I'm like, dude, you're like lucky to be alive. Yeah. Times my, two. My brother's fallen out twice. It's, you know. And you said ascending and descending. Ascending. So the, and like I said, the research is hard because not all of them are reported. Not every state tracks and Michigan doesn't track them. Illinois will track them. Um, so anybody involved in like a police officer or conservation police officer, it's a mandatory reporting in Illinois, but in Michigan it's not. They just do firearms. So getting the right. What's mandatory reporting? So if somebody is injured in the field with a firearm. Uh, yeah. Hunting, oh yeah, for sure. You, that's a mandatory report to the DNR. So they, there's a, a, a stream of information that gets passed from police officer through a specific network, kind of like a pager system. It was explained to me to the CPO who will then go investigate if needed at the hospital or at home and figure out what happened. And they keep a tally of these every year and they release a report. It's pretty morbid to read it, but it's interesting from a medical perspective to look at it and see, you know, a lot of these firearm injuries are occurring for, you know, it's it's not, it's usually careless handling of a firearm, not um, failure to identify target. It's usually, you know, carrying your gun, you know, the wrong way up a tree stand, linking your you know, hall court to the freaking trigger guard, mm-hmm. handing weapons to each other, falling over something, you know, the stuff you learn in Hunter's Ed, you know, don't go over a fence with a loaded gun. You drop your gun and it goes off. Don't rely on the safety, et cetera. That kind of stuff. You know, you do see people swinging on, you know, I read one from Michigan, somebody swings on a squirrel and the 22 hits, you know, a, a young person in the head and they die. And it's just tragic, tragic story. Was that this year? 2018, that was, it was like a 63-year-old killed like a 13-year-old. It was just- Hunting squirrels. Yeah, just that kind of stuff really gets to me. I think the further on I get in medicine, you get a little, you can get a little numb to um, pain in some ways because you have to function in an environment where you're functioning when somebody else is in pain and you're you're, you're trying to help them. So if you're emoting with them and, and feeling what they're feeling, then you can't get your job done. You can't help that person. The things that I think really bother me is when I can relate and whether it's, you know, it's a 36-year-old guy who's always got a new diagnosis of cancer or it's a little kid that looks like my kid that's injured. That shit's really hard to emotionally process. And so reading these stories because I'm a hunter and because I I feel so bad, it's hard to even just read the one-liner about what happens. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's thinking about, geez, man. But I should say I sent a PowerPoint to Brody that – we use some of these statistics. There's a, a national injury database that's collected. There's 100 ERs in this. It's a government-run database through the Consumer Protection 
CPSC, I can't remember the acronym, but it's 100 ERs that are surveillanced and they input anything um, that is related to a consumer product. So if you're injured by, you want to know how many people are injured by vacuum cleaners, you can search vacuum cleaners, you can search hunting knives and lacerations to the hand, finger, arm, whatever. Um, they estimate there's about six to 4,000 tree stand related injuries per year uh, in the United States. And it really has not, I looked at the numbers and it really has not uh, declined with more education. It's pretty much stayed the same because our hunting numbers are going down a little bit. You know, the big game numbers, if you compare them, we're still having the same rough rate of tree stand related injuries across the country. Um, interestingly, okay, though, because it seems like there's so much more focus on it. There, there is, but it's just like we're, it's just like, you know, seatbelts with cars, right? So we were talking about this earlier. Education is a hard thing to, um, change habit when it comes to our patient population and people in general. So you can talk yourself to your blue in the face, but until you engineer a solution into the equation, you're still going to get those people like, you know, like maybe my grandfather doesn't wear a seatbelt as often as I would, but you put that annoying beep in your car, in the brand new car, you're going to wear your fucking seatbelt because you don't want to listen to the beep for... Somebody told me you can take the fuse out of that situation. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, that sounds hard to do, man. Yeah. They do sell, you can go online and buy, um, you can go online and buy just like a buckle with an yeah. orange piece on it. Yeah. And then keep it clicked in there so it just sinks your buckled up. No kidding. Those people don't have any lie. I can't believe there's not a lawsuit against that company. Well, on the Toyota, uh, there's the sensors underneath the seat and you just disconnect that sensor. Uh I saw Cal, once on YouTube. Cal's hot tip. Yeah. <laughs> Don't listen to Cal. So here, okay. Yeah, do not listen to me. I'm a terrible example. But just like as you are saying this, I'm realizing like when you're like, yeah, the 60-year-old guy who fell out of the tree stand twice. Yeah. I just go, oh, yeah, I get it. But if it's the 16-year-old kid who falls out of the tree stand, I'm like, idiot. Yeah. Right, you know, because I mean, oh, we're changing. Really? Absolutely. Oh, I feel Absolutely. bad for. I feel bad for him. Yeah. I don't because it's true. He is an idiot, right? You're like 16. You haven't seen a lot of stuff. Yeah. But the 60 year old guy, like he's making informed decisions. Oh, I got you. Right. Yeah, I got you. And I just feel like if there was an emphasis on safety mm -hmm. in my growing up, which looking back there, there was a lot of like, yeah, you shouldn't do that, and that was about it. Bet you learned your lesson there. Yeah. I I feel like that is just such a better way to start out because now, like, nothing – somebody's like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't do it that way. Yeah. I'm always like, you should have seen me 10 years ago, man. Oh, for sure, man. Right? But I think so that, like, like, the tree stand thing, like – I feel like a lot of people have changed their ways, man. Like we used to build tree stands out of chunks of two by fours and yeah. just like n Nail no ladder, no rope, like mm. just lean up there. My dad would make them, uh, he would steal street signs. For a platform? <laughs> yeah. Like what? Like a stop sign or like a Oh yield? yeah, he'd take that, he liked that metal. Yeah. Um, they used to have these like thick signs. It was like a laminate. It was like a thick plywood with a... Mm face on it for a solid metal yeah and we had some tree stands you could still see like the parts of speed limit numbers and stuff on them <laughs> but i wouldn't get up in one of those things i made when i was a kid yeah like i'd use you know i use harness i feel yeah, like no, people i, I think, I think the, the reason that the reason that i started getting into it i think so before i started i'm kind of an adult onset hunter i used to wrestle in uh high school college and and so wrestling season is pretty much all of deer season do you and, still have that wrestling problem where you're always trying to 
Mm. Like wrestle yeah. guys? Yeah. We're not familiar enough yet, so I haven't done it to you. But like put people in headlocks If all Yanni the time. was here, I would have <laughs> like advised him. him about my blast double What do you think about that, Yanni? Pick a good one, Phil. That's what? right. <laughs> it's a it's a thing it's a unique subculture you know and i think because you know it's it's underappreciated in how difficult it is it doesn't get any popularity like you know football gets so much play and and, and, and you wrestled at a high-end school oh no university of chicago is a division three it was you know it was more no, of a high-end academically oh yeah which yeah. you mean it'd be easy to beat everybody well i'd I, have to hope i so i didn't I kind of lost, it, it really, it's emotionally draining with, you know, cutting weight and training all the time. And your focus gets to be on other things uh, when you're in college um, <laughs> that don't involve, you know, athletics, you know. And then, and then at a certain point, I'm like, I'm not going to be a professional wrestler. I'm going to study to get into medical school. And Did you so, have a wrestling scholarship? No, no. They don't, they don't, in D3, they don't have scholarship. They, they give you like a workman. They like give you money to work in the cafeteria or something like that. And um, I could have gone to a smaller school and maybe gotten a scholarship, but... But you got that little Rodney Dangerfield swimsuit on and went out there and yeah, your little it's, helmet. It's, you know, yeah. it's comforting. I love it. That's good. It's a, I, still, I still will do um, club wrestling at U of M with the college kids there and go, and I get to pull the old man break because I'm winded. Um, and I'm going to try and get my kids into it and we'll, we'll see if they like it or maybe they'll be into fencing. I don't know what they'll like. You want to raise up wrestlers. It's so much. It's so much fun, dude. That's right. It's That's a good. physicality and like a fitness that doesn't ever go away. A work ethic that you just cannot. It's different than football. It's different because you know you're the only one out there. You're the only one. Sta- there's no one else to blame when you lose. It's mano a mano. It's not as traumatic as boxing, right? I don't want my kids to box because of the cr- chronic traumatic encephalopathy. I don't want my kids to play football because it's like the number one injured sport. Although I love playing football when I grew up. So. But who knows what they'll be in. My wife's a very good influence in saying you should let them try and choose what uh, they they enjoy. I don't recommend that either. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Let's, let's get back. <laughs> I want to get back to this. Okay. Let's, I want to talk about cuts in the field. Sure. Cuts in the field. Right. We'll start minor. Okay. When is it okay and wh- when is it appropriate to try to super glue a cut back together again? So when and we, when is it okay? This is a two-parter. Sure. When is it okay to, to, to do a Rambo and stitch yourself up? <laughs> So it all has to do with, I think, the size of the cut um, and what is your, uh, when are you going to be able to get to definitive care? So we ideally like to have wounds heal by primary intention, meaning that we'll stitch them back together, bring the skin back together so the skin can heal itself. The stitches don't actually heal the skin. They just bring it next to itself so it can heal. So um, we ideally try and do that within 8 to 12 hours. Anything beyond that, we worry about enough bacteria from the environment getting in there, and then we close it up, and then we seal in some infection. Mm-hmm. Exception to that would be facial injuries uh, because face, you know, it's generally not tolerable to have somebody have giant scars in their face for cosmetic reasons. So if you're in the field and you have like a, you know, a one-inch cut on your finger that's closely approximated, it's not a lot of gapping or gaping, um, then you can stretch that thing out, put some super glue on it, and like kind of like pull it, pull the skin on the either end, or pinch it together. And but put you don't the super pack glue. the inside with super glue. No, sir. Yeah. So you want you want the skin. So skin has different layers. So you have like the top or superficial epidermis, then you have the dermis, and then you have the extracellular matrix underneath. The extracellular matrix is where these fibroblasts that are basically like connectors will come together and heal your tissue. You don't want that all gummed up with glue or you're just going to have, you know, you want the skin to be touching and then you put the glue on top like a seal on top and provide that 
touching skin so it can heal itself. Bottom line, most of the time, we're just helping our body out. The body's an amazing thing. It's it's doing it's doing and in healing itself more than we're really helping most of the time. Yeah. You know. When I uh I'm just talking about minor cuts. Sure. Like everything leading up to uh kind of, everything leading up to like, man, I should probably get a stitch, but yeah. We're not gonna go get a stitch. Okay. That type of cut. Okay. I always, tell me if, if this is correct because this is what like this, I I carry in my med kit mm-hmm. only what's good up to that only really what's good up to that point okay alcohol swab okay then neosporin mm-hmm. triple antibiotic ointment yeah then band aid then a, that that stretchy tape you can wrap around yeah. there to protect to hold the band aid on. So you could use, um, so there's a couple parts of wound care. So the primary part is um, making sure it stays clean and dry. And when somebody has a laceration um, or a cut, you can, we, we always irrigate them with water. And so a lot of people will use iodine and normal saline and other stuff, but really you can just use tap water. As long as you can drink it, you can irrigate a wound with it. There's been plenty. Wash of- it out with just tap water. There's been plenty of studies that show it's not inferior to the saline and the iodine. And what, what about if, what about creek water? If you could drink it, I mean, if you purified it and you could drink it, that'd be fine. Okay, you know what about creek water. Mm, I, I don't know. I know the difference. It was one dirtier? <laughs> yeah, a creek is a creek is dirtier in the creek. Yeah, uh, uh, Patrick McManus um, he described the difference being that in a creek somewhere in there you can find a tire. In tire? the absence of a tire, it's a creek. You're worried more about, yeah, <laughs> tires are fine. You know, feces from animals and, yeah. and other bacteria is what we worry about. But you, what you can do is you can take like a Ziploc bag or any kind of bag, fill it full of water, poke a hole in the bottom of it with like a needle, and then spray your wound and you have your little own irrigation device. That's a good way to clean it, spraying it with water. That's what that's what we do every time. And so before it Hot was- Hot water? No, 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 no. Just, just room temperature water is fine. Huh. And so a lot of times previous in my, so the thing about medicine is that everything, things are always moving and shifting and changing. And right. Cause now we're more evidence-based. We'll do a study and then see what happens and, and we'll build on the, the people before us. Um, so previously it used to be, we think that it's the pressure of the water knocking the bacteria off the wound. Yeah. And now it's more, we think it's like the volume of water, but to me, it doesn't really matter. Just use enough water. They say 50 mLs per centimeter of cut. Just use a whole bunch of water, irrigate it out. See if you can bring the edges together. You can, you could use in a pinch, you could use duct tape to try and get it close together. You could use steri strips or um, wound closure strips. Um, in the wilderness medicine fellowship that I did, they talked about, you know, in a real hard up situation, you could use like boiled thread if you had to and a sewing needle. You could use nylon. All, a lot of the sutures we use are basically nylon. Uh-huh. And we do use silk too. So if you had silk thread, you could use that as well. What about dental floss? You could use that, but it's really thick. You know, like, so suture is graded based off size. Like 6.0 is what I would use for your face. It's very fine. It's like, you know, fairy hair, you know, mm-hmm. super thin, breaks real easy. And then uh, like 1.0 or 3.0 is something you use for somebody's thigh. Dental floss is like double O. So it's like, it's like shot, you know, kind of like yep, so six yep. O is real at the top and then OO is down here and that's super thick. So dental floss would probably be real, real uncomfortable and quick interjection. Do you yeah. ever, you ever get that dad who kind of like grabs you and you're like, you know, doc, like a little bit of a scar up there is fine. 
I have not uh, not like had on the that. face. Really? Yeah. No, we don't really see It'll that. It'll look cool later. Right. Exactly. No. You do get ver- you get varied um, varied amounts of concern about scars, you know, and um, typically people that are. I mean, what you'd expect, like a teenage girl, you want to make sure that her face is, you know, not scarred up. But you know, a twenty three year old boy or man, I guess boy, you don't really they so don't really you, care as much. You believe in? Um, you're telling me that. Uh, you're like, you factor in age and gender when deciding whether they want a scar or not? Uh, so expectation, I think, is important to address. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there is a large customer service aspect to medicine nowadays. <laughs> um, and it is it is for, I think, and by and large, I think it's for the better because I think if we treat people the way we would want to be treated, whether it, you know, you're talking about a golden rule, you're talking about a service industry, you're talking about... Um, doing what, how you'd want your family member treated, then it's for the better. And I think both providers and patients are are better off and feel better about their job. But it can go over the line, right? So you got somebody coming in who is pissed because their kid's got a runny nose and a cough. And I just talked to somebody who I just diagnosed with cancer and this other person's pissed because they're waited an hour. And so how do you address that? You mm-hmm. have to treat them, but they don't, under, they don't understand, they don't know. No, because their experience is in a vacuum. Correct. And I think that that is a big societal problem. I think that's so lack of social awareness is a big societal problem that we have. And what's interesting about the emergency department is that you see all walks of life. You could walk down the hall and see a CEO of a company who's getting a DUI and crashes car and an 83 year old grandma who has five family members at the side of their bed versus, you know, a 60 year old guy with dementia that has nobody at his bed. Nobody, nobody cares about him. And then a little girl who cut her face because her brother threw a book at her. You know, I mean, it's just the equalizer for everybody, healthcare and particularly ED, you know? Uh, I wasn't dogging on you about it because oh, yeah. my uh, my four-year-old, he's got a couple pretty good nicks in his forehead now from stitches, and I don't care, but I wouldn't want my daughter to be all scarred up. I feel, sim- you know, I, I feel, don't know why. I mean, there's a there's a premium placed on, on beauty, uh, like it or not, I think, you know, but yeah. all, I think, you know, I'm sure you th- feel the same way. All my children are beautiful. So no, I'd prefer my little boy to be all scarred up. It does. I guess I don't know. I wouldn't be too tore up if my girl had a big old scar across her face. I think so. You know, as long as there's no permanent damage, otherwise it's fine. Doesn't matter. Uh, okay. What about stitching yourself up? I just met. I thought you couldn't do it because I was one time uh, we were hunting out east of here, and my buddy's dog mm. got uh, gashed up on a barbed wire fence. Mm-hmm. My buddy's wife was a doctor. Okay. It was Thanksgiving Day. hmm She stitched the dog up. Yeah. Thought she had it good and clean. Stitched the dog up. Uh, she gives stitches all the time. Yeah. But she's just in my brother's garage stitching it up. Yeah. Not and then <laughs> ended up needing to open it back up. Yeah. Because of an infection. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And she was worried about that happening due to the nature of the injury. Yeah. But I thought that um, when I watched Rambo, and we all went out and bought Rambo knives. <laughs> yeah, they had a needle and, th- and fishing line in the handle, right? In the handle, yeah. Matches. Of course, I had that. That was the coolest a thing non- in the world. A non-functioning compass. A compass on the bottom, on the butt. Yeah, you used to be able to go to a fl- the Muskegon flea market and buy Rambo knives for four ninety nine. Plastic do- sheath, really bad little honer. That was the honing stone in the handle. My grandfather, who was the first person to teach me how to shoot a. 22 at like a milk jug floating in a lake on his farm uh, in Indiana. That's that was his preferred target. 
milk jug floating in a lake. We're, there's home video of my brother and I. That's a great must, example, right? He <laughs> must be, yeah. my brother must be, I kid you not, he must be four years old and we're doing this. But they're over our shoulder, like holding it, you know. Yeah. But we used to go to the flea market in southern Indiana, and that was the main, it was either baseball cards or knives. That's what we wanted. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could buy illegal fireworks at the flea market, too. Yeah. And the, yeah, Rambo. They had a lot of stuff down there. Butterfly yeah. knives. There was a couple times yeah. in high school. Enough, this is horrible. I just want to say it's horrible. There was a couple times in high school where we would, on lunch break, go down to the Muskegon River and have someone run upstream and huck bottles out in the river mm-hmm. so that you could shoot 22s at them as they floated past the boat launch. No kidding. <laughs> Just stupid. Shooting at, shooting at a, a moving object with somebody nearby at a flat surface. You're breaking Glass. Some, making some... Glass. Breaking some hunter safety rules for sure. <laughs> and then like run back to hopefully not be tardy. That's the stuff. Of, that's the stuff of youth, though. I mean, that's what. Yeah, that's not even youth. That's just that's just like old enough to know better. That's that's the thing that I don't know how we were dumb. I don't know how. So I tell my kids, my wife and I both. They they love our hospital stories, and I think I you live a paranoid life in some ways when you're in the healthcare profession because you're around so many sick people. You see so much. You know, you see somebody. You just think everybody's injured all the time. Dude, I mean, it's really, it makes you kind of paranoid. And so so you might see a bookshelf that's uh, on a wall. I see something that could tip over and crush a two-year-old's head because I've seen that before, you know? And and so you're just kind of have this thing that you're beating down. You don't want to be super OCD paranoid. But to teach your kids about the stuff like a good parent would, like don't do this. Mm -hmm. And I think the way, and you guys touch on this a lot. I think you, you talk about how you, you mentor your children and bring them, whether you, I think you've taken his kids fishing, oh, sorry, fishing and stuff and talking about how, you know, boater safety and whatnot. And I think that showing people how it's supposed to be done and, and being a mentor is uh, a very powerful thing. So um, anyway, we probably won't be shooting milk jugs and lakes when I'm no, my and kids. I, and if I, I caught my kids down <laughs> shooting glass bottles at the yeah. boat launch, I'd wring their neck. For sure. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> drifting by on lunch hour. Yeah. So get back to school. So I thought, so I, that, cause Rambo did it, I thought it was all right mm. to sit yourself up. Mm. Then I thought that, then I thought that you can't under any circumstances stitch yourself up. But that just happened to be with two guys. Mm. These are, these are some cool guys. Uh, we we're in Wyoming and we packed in a horseback with these dudes, Crooked Sky Outfitters. Mm-hmm. We've been talking a bunch about both his dad and his kid have stitched themselves up. Mm hmm. They stitched themselves up without any um, anesthetic. Anesthetic. Yeah. And then someone, uh, I think maybe gave them some kind of anesthetic that mm-hmm. they could use next time they need to stitch themselves up. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I thought you can't do that. And he showed me. He's like, I'm fine. Yeah. Stitched himself up. So what's the verdict? Cool, not cool. I mean, if I had the, I've, the number of times I've, so I, I could stitch myself up. You could stitch yourself up if you had the appropriate material. I think it's all about the tools. Like it's like carpentry. If you got the right tools, you could do it. Most people can stitch yourself up um, if you had the right tools. But you know, winging it with some thread and a sewing needle would be pretty. It's not a good way to do it. This is a, you know yeah the skin the cotton in there is probably going to cause irritation. I think the oh. best thing would be you know steri strips or some sort of like you know thing that you could try and bring the edges together or you know super glue, but. So you don't recommend people to start stitching themselves up? No, I'm not trying to drum up any business, but we're happy to see you <laughs> in the department to sew you up anytime. Were, were those guys stitching themselves up because they like needed to like Gash themselves, or were they just avoiding the hassle of going to a doctor? Avoiding the hassle because they were back in the mountains guiding and didn't want, and it's 
a long horse ride and then a very long vehicle ride and they have clients with right. them and it wasn't tenable to like be like hey i'll be back in two days yep and ride all those miles and drive all you know what i mean yeah so they would just rather than doing that stitch themselves up and they were both firm believers in it no yeah. novocaine or whatever you call it yeah no lidocaine yeah lidocaine. it's uh i mean it it stings for sure yeah. it doesn't feel good i've had stitches in I think the anesthetic wasn't really working very well, and it, it hurts when you get the needle through your skin, but certainly not the worst pain. Yanni, are you ready to move on to tourniquets? Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's very enthusiastic. He really Excited is. Excited about Good job, that. Phil. Classic yeah. he's only got He's only got 25 to choose from, but he's picking some great sound-ups, man. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Yanni's ready to move on to tourniquets. Okay. Uh, me and Cal are, let's say me and Cal are out hunting. Okay. Bam! I shoot him in the... On accident. On accident. Shoot him right in the calf. Okay. Bleeding all over the place. Okay. A lot of pooling blood. And the bullet doesn't just bounce off because you've seen my calves. Yeah. It's like a very high cal- high power load. Okay. Um, And, and it's able to penetrate yeah. Cal's calf. Mm-hmm. Not like a muzzle loader, which would just bounce off. Mm-hmm. But it penetrates Cal's calf. Mm-hmm. Knocks a hunk of bone out of it. Ooh. Bleeding all over. All right. Uh, and let's just say we're in the universe where, for whatever reason, professional medical care is hours away. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at the amount of blood coming out. And we're like, man, I don't know if a fella can sustain that level of blood loss. Sure. What happens? So... They're in action or action, right? So in action, in action. So you can stand there and watch. Which, unfortunately, you know, as a bystander, that or go can, glass up on top of the hill. <laughs> you can be like, I guess you'll be okay. <laughs> we'll just put some. So we see, uh, you know, when it comes to like bystander participation in somebody who's who was injured, you can see a, a varied amount of uh, success. Somebody can stand there, or somebody can call nine one one, or or you can get a t-shirt and just put it on there and basically mop up the blood. Uh-huh. But what we should really do and what we're teaching, trying to teach our lay public to do now is um, use the resources they have around them uh, and get educated just like we did for CPR. You know, And so there's a, um, a group out there called Stop the Bleed and they um, allow people to become instructors and they teach people how to use tourniquets. And so a situation like that where you have a lot of pooling blood and a, like a deep- Define injury, pooling blood for me. So uh, human beings have about five liters of blood in their body. Um, And so if you have like just they're laying in uh, a circle of blood, you know, like uh, somebody poured out. Pooling blood being a pool of blood. Like a half gallon of half gallon of milk spilled out on the ground. That's a lot of blood. And that is reasonable that maybe you should describe the injury. But is it reasonable that I could hit Cal like that and get a pool? For sure. I mean, yeah. so there's arteries. So there's not to be too simplistic, but in our cardiovascular system, there's arteries and there's veins. The arteries are under higher pressure than the veins. The arteries bring oxygenated blood to our tissues and veins bring it back. Um, the arteries under high pressure, if you lacerate or injure an artery, that blood will pump out and will spray from me to Brody across the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to hard to miss that. You know, so if you have an extremity injury that's pumping blood or even a bad vein that's bleeding a lot um, or a set of veins, you could need to use a tourniquet. And so the first thing that they teach in this course and what we teach is direct pressure. Um, So you start putting pressure either with your palm of your hand 
two fingers and some gauze or a t-shirt, or you can kneel on it to get hands free to grab. Is that right? Yep. Yep. You can kneel on it. So your hands free. It's a hot pro tip from paramedics. They're superstars out in the, in the field. And so they do that a lot when somebody has injuries or they need to stabilize somebody's neck when they're doing stuff. Um, so after direct pressure, if it's not controlling the bleeding, we still see, you know, blood soaked clothes, pooling of blood, then it's time to put a tourniquet on. And so what about like what Rambo does where he uh, cauterized it, cauterized it with a flare? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> not advised. We, no. we, we talked about um, we've talked about that a little bit. And, and um, you know, cinema has a lot of interesting interpretations of what medical injuries look like. And I think I mean, we all know how devastating a single shot can be on a mammal like a deer. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, I can't speak to like what an elk or but like, you know. A deer that it's just the amount of trauma that you get from a single round is incredible. But you see these movies and people like run run through bullets like it's no big deal. They get shot. They're always getting shot like in the upper shoulder or over the clavicle, and there's not a lot of bleeding. But underneath your clavicle are these big arteries called the subclavian arteries that you would die like immediately if you had a a twelve gauge round go through that. Yeah, yeah. So, so cauterizing is not a th- no good. There's no situation no where one cauterizes. Cauterizing is done in the operating room, or I like to say operating theater, because it used to be a theater, and they they will use a pen like instrument to cauterize individual vessels. Um, and when you talk about gross cauterization or large area cauterization, you're basically creating a third degree burn with a lot of dead tissue around that uh-huh. is probably going to get infected or, or you know fall off. So um, the the major in the gunshot wound category, the first thing you try is direct pressure. Direct pressure, yep. And depending on where it is. So we have three different areas. There's your extremities, your junctional areas, like your neck, your armpit, and your groin, and then your torso, which is like your chest and your abdomen. Um, direct pressure will work for any of those sites, but you can only put tourniquets on your extremities, really. From what point down? So it depends on, um, so ideally, if you are able to look at the wound, you put the tourniquet two to three inches above it. Uh Um, But in like, say, a a combat situation or a police officer was shot or um, somebody has clothes on, you can't tell, you put the tourniquet on as high up as you can to the junctional area, all the way up the groin, all the way to the shoulder, basically, or to the junction of the shoulder, tighten that one down, and then expose the limb and then you see where the wound is and then put one, two, three inches above it. And you can loosen that top one. Di- to. oh. So you can put two and on. And you're not kissing that extremity goodbye when you tourniquet it. No, sir. It, so even if you had a finger completely cut off or something that had complete blood flow cut off, six hours is when we're starting to worry about limb ischemia or lack of, uh, lack of oxygen to that tissue uh-huh. causing that tissue to die. Would you ever tourniquet a finger? Mm-hmm. We do that all the time um, in the emergency department to temporarily to get a bloodless field to be able to sew up somebody's finger. You know, they cut it with a knife and it's just so because there's arteries that run on either side of your finger on um, like where your fingers touch. Uh-huh. And so what did I see? I saw a guy the other day. He's a he's a tree trimmer and he hit it with his chainsaw. Oh. And so his artery was bleeding like stink. And so we had to put a tourniquet. We injected it with some lidocaine with epinephrine, which that's a myth that you can't do that. Hand surgeons do it all the time. And we put a tourniquet on it. What do you on use? Where? What do you use for it's a tourniquet? Big. A rubber bit? Like it's a... Yeah. Yeah. We use like a, um, a, a vessel loop, which it's kind of thinner. You probably shouldn't use it so thin, but we had it on there for five minutes or something like that. But we can use, you tend to want to use, if you're using an impromptu tourniquet, um, you want them to be like at least an inch and a half wide. You don't want something super thin. 
Um, because but for it, a finger, you can for a finger, yeah. Whenever I'm having these kind of conversations, I need to cross my arms. Why defensive posture or you're like a processing? Up. A clench up. You get nervous about you don't seem like somebody you handle bloody bloody things all the time. Yeah, I know, but talking about people being real bad uh injuries, yeah, makes me want to cross my arms because it maybe it's because you feel vulnerable. I don't know, uh, or, uh. you know, I I similarly cringe, like I was saying, people with chainsaws that's a very common injury we see people either they're arborists sure, or you know a lot of this like popularization of hinge cutting and things like that and, and i tell you it's the only manual i've ever read front to back is the chainsaw manual because it's they're powerful tools for sure i mean the popularity of hinge cutting it's like a thing so like my <laughs> what, what, it's, a, it's like a fad it's a it's a thing so ask mark kenyon about it it's so people will oh do it. whitetail guys yeah yeah yeah. oh i thought you meant yeah. using a hinge when you fell a tree no, oh, you no, mean no. like guys out in the woods hinge cutting trees yeah yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. to so make whitetail habitat exactly so I you're bringing brows i thought you meant fellers no 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 no. you're bringing Not brows fellers like fellas but fellers like tree fellers yeah and i don't know what it is about chainsaws but it's one of those things where i feel like the less you use them the more confident you are with it you know like People that use them are just like, there's a varying degree of safety with them. And I don't think they, they didn't read the manual. Oh, I'm very freewheeling with a chainsaw. <laughs> but you know how to use it though. Yeah, but I'm very freewheeling. <laughs> Too much so. Oh, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Watching, watching me, Steve Rinello Cal with watched chainsaw. me one time take a chainsaw <laughs> and, and stick it right into the toe of my shoe, cut uh. right through the leather, cut through the sole and stop just shy of my toe. Lucky. Then I had to run around with the gash in my boots. Yeah. Last time I saw you use one, you had flip flops on. Yeah, when we were when we were uh, grabbing those cottonwood stumps. Yeah. I tell you, um, the <laughs> battery operated chainsaw, that thing scares me because it's so much so toy like. It oh, it's like it's quiet. So how could it hurt me? <laughs> oh yeah, and every time I grab that thing, I'm like, now remember. It's a real chainsaw. Yeah. And you watch that thing rip through wood, you know, and it's just like, my God. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. I've turned over a new leaf. The last time I was wielding the chainsaw, which was a couple weekends ago, Mm -hmm. chaps. Yeah, for sure. Big boots. I didn't have my iron toe boots on, but I had big boots on. Chaps, big boots, the steel helmet. Yeah, those are nice. With the drop down face mask. My dad got me that for Christmas But it was snowing real hard. And you'd lift the face mask up mm-hmm. and you'd collect the wet snow. You'd put the face mask down and it was less than ideal, but I, I figured I, it just took a little more maintenance. Took yeah. a couple of revs to find your cut again. And, yeah. <laughs> no, I was full on. I was full on. So, uh, and, and I've turned over a new leaf. But we should. used to be, ca- in the old days, we were cavalier with chainsaws. And all you ever heard our favorite, uh, my personal favorite chainsaw story from Doug Duran's dad. Mm-mm. I do we tell a story all the time, but I try to tell a short version. It's like, Doug Dern's dad gas is uh, sternum with a chainsaw. Whoa. And like he, he goes and drives down and gets rescued and goes to the hospital and stuff. And a while later, like he'd left his all of his stuff out in the woods. Mm-hmm. And a while later, Doug goes out to retrieve his old man's stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's some old home light chainsaw. And he said, that chainsaw is laying on the forest floor. What, 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 what? <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's possessed by a demon. (laughs) Sharp, and he's taking care of the motor, right? He's taking care of that motor. It's probably 20 years old. Dude, it's the greatest story. I feel like he told it on this show. Uh, Okay, so let's get back to tourniquets. 
What do you use for a tourniquet? So we use, um, so if it's for a finger, you can do something like a vessel loop or like a basically. Yeah, like I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. What about paracord? Paracord, I would not use that because it's too thin. So um, oh. it's too thin because. For so, a finger. Oh, for a finger, you could use that temporarily. You know, it's all like temporary stuff. Um, but for like an actual extremity wound, we would use something like the Cat 7 or like the Sam XT. There's like, there's like. What, what, what about stuff just a person's got laying around? So you could use. Um, you or is that use, not cool? No, you could you could definitely make an impromptu tourniquet. Like, you know, on Cal's podcast, they talked about the guy from British Columbia who got mauled by a grizzly and ripped his own shirt limb off, yep. tied that around. So you basically tie it around uh, your limb and then tie like a half, like you're tying your shoe, and then put a stick in there, tie a knot on top of that, then twist that stick and... around, and then you tie the stick down so it doesn't move. Um you could do that. And uh, it's okay to do this. You could do that. So if I'm bleeding like holy hell out of my finger mm-hmm. and I want to slow it down to bandage it, mm-hmm. I can just wrap something around my finger. The base of your finger, yeah. And start tightening it mm-hmm. until the, like I was crank, 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 mm-hmm. the blood stops mm-hmm. and I'm not doing irreparable harm to myself. Not until about six hours, yeah. Don't yeah, it's man. important yeah. to know this isn't a fix. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a temporary <laughs> situation, You right? just then keep hunting all week. <laughs> No, yeah. You hasn't bled for days. Yeah. <laughs> it's turning bled. a little green, though. It's purple. I like this new shade. I had no idea you could do this. Yeah. So, and, and again, to, to emphasize, it's a temporary thing. I mean, if you have a an arterial injury or a deep enough laceration, you should seek medical care, you know, to have it evaluated. You know, whether or not it's it actually needs stitches or not, or it needs something more, like you cut your artery, you're going to need to see a hand surgeon because the nerves and arteries tend to run right next to each other. So if you cut your index finger nerve, I mean, that's a real fine area of, you know, sensation you mm-hmm. know, for typing and handling stuff. You know, you don't want to have a nerve injury if you don't need it. So you got to see a hand surgeon eventually. What's your take on carrying combat gauze? I used to carry it mm-hmm. and I carried it without knowing how you, one uses it. Mm-hmm. Or no, like quick clot. Sure, yeah. Quick clot. It's about the same stuff, yeah. It's like all all impregnated gauze with something to help clot blood. Well, I carried it for years. Yeah. Then I realized that it was rock hard inside there. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't good anymore anyway. Mm-hmm. And I threw it out. Yeah. And then I learned that I didn't know how to use it anyway. Because mm-hmm. I thought you held it on top of the wound. Mm-hmm. And then someone sent us a video. You need to pack that stuff into the wound channel. Mm-hmm. It depends what kind of wound, right? So there's varying kinds. There's su- surface wounds, um, and there's you know puncture wounds or deep wounds or cavitating wounds. So a, a bullet wound will cavitate, right? So what does that have, mean? Cavitate means create a cavity. I know cavity. what it means on a boat engine. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I have no idea what that means. A cavitation plate? I don't know. To no. prevent it from sinking down, probably? Yeah, well. The motor? Like on a jet. Cavitation becomes a because you don't want to air like there's an intake mm-hmm. and you want the intake exposed to undisturbed water. Okay, so people are very careful about the position, like the the position of the cavitation plate relative to the bolt hole. Okay. I'm learning about all this right now. I'm I, anything but an expert, <laughs> but I've been using the word cavitation more than normal. It's good. Normal being none. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're talking about the hunt for Red October. Yeah. I believe the word cavitation's in there. They talk about it a fair bit? Yeah. 
Good movie. But no, I'm still, I'm still not yeah, able to yeah. use it with any sort of confidence. So uh, bullet wounds have both, uh, you know, there's a, a realized track and there's also a, a temporary track that's created by the pressure of the wound. And so you can have um, nerve and artery damage from that pressure as a bullet goes through. Oh, the hydrostatic shock. Correct. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, but part of that, you know, you get some, you can get some cavitation of tissue where you have tissue blown out or, yeah, um, so it's a hole. And so in a situation like that, putting some of those, uh, clotting agents in there into the hole to fill the hole and put pressure on the veins and arteries, gotcha. not only that, but also cr- helping promote the coagulation cascade that happens in your body naturally. That's how they work. Um, but we do see, you know, We'll see um, people who have superficial wounds sometimes that require, uh, say they're on a blood thinner, which is, it's more and more common nowadays. People have um, abnormal heart rhythms. They have history of blood clots and they're on a blood thinner and they have a wound that just will not stop bleeding. It's, it's, really, uh, it's really frustrating for not only the patient, the provider too, to try and get it to stop. We'll put some of that stuff on there and just put a gentle pressure wrapping on it and then it will it'll clot off usually. So you can use it in a superficial way, but you're in your application, if you had a, a stab wound or something like that, you're going to try and pack some of that stuff in there, yeah. What is a, a item, a med item, mm-hmm. a med kit item that you find uh, that people don't have with them but should? Mm-hmm. And is there stuff people have but shouldn't? And what is an appropriate kit? So Brody and I were talking about this the other day. By and large, um, the kits that people will buy at like REI or whatever, you know, buy them at Meyer or whatever, they're... I keep them in my car. So, Go into Amazon, type in medical kit. Yeah. And then throw that in your car and be like, sweet. You've got... So, <laughs> yep. yeah. So you're going to spend all this time and, and you, people, you feel secure if you have that equipment nearby. Oh, yeah. So the best medical equipment that you can have is the medical kit you can have is the one that you have with you, right? Because if you have a nice, sweet-ass kit, but it's in your basement doesn't really matter if you're having the like shit in, at the fan. In the laundry room somewhere? Yeah, yeah. But by and, large, <laughs> by and large, a lot of those kits are just Band-Aids and like a pair of scissors and some tape and, you know, gloves and whatnot. But you can make your own medical kit um, with that same stuff for far less money and have it tailored to your needs. So the thing I would say, if you're involved in any kind of firearm or outdoor adventuring situation. I think a tourniquet is something a lot of people do not have. Like a full-on legit store-bought tourniquet. Correct. Yep. I think that that's very important because the most likely thing that's going to happen to you is, you know, well, the most likely thing is you're either going to get diarrhea or roll your ankle or both when you're camping or, or hiking or whatever. But on the off chance that something super bad happens to you, and you have an extremity injury, having a tourniquet can be a life-saving. How, what's the tourniquet? What's the store-bought tourniquet wind up looking like? Um, is it small? No, yeah, we got some out in the. You want lobby. me to go grab? Yeah, one? we'll grab one. We got some. We got a bunch of them. Yeah, why not, Brody? I'll be yeah. right back. What do you think about that, Yanni? Should Brody grab that tourniquet? Yeah, another great reason to buy an Onyx membership. Oh no, that's not it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was like, yeah, I don't need a tourniquet, but the uh, a store bought tourniquet, right? Because. All you were ever taught was like how to make a tourniquet, yeah. how to improvise a splint, how to improvise a tourniquet. But uh, yeah, just just in the lobby of our office here, I was like, you know, having that pre-made, sp- specialized, this is all it does is a tourniquet, saves you a lot of thinking time in a For crisis sure. situation. Oh, here's Brody now with a tourniquet. Looks like someone you'd use to strap your canoe down to the top of a car. Mm-hmm. 
So there's oh. there's a variety of different kinds. There's about seven of them that are approved by the um, TCCC, which is the Tactical Combat Casualty Care um, Organization, which is a government organization that uh, approves these things. I and mean, you can buy one for... The like, pro- let me tell you right now. Go on. But the you, problem with that is it's too big and most guys aren't going to carry it. Yeah. I mean, so... I'm going to start. Prevention is, I think, a real important thing that we... Um, well, he, he, it, looks like you're, it looks like you're carrying a belt around with a stick yeah. tied to it. Yeah. He's tourniqueting Cal. So, what happened, Cal? Well, I, I just hope this thing can hold up these beefy arms. His biceps yeah. are pretty large. So Cal was gored by <laughs> a... not be enough strap. Cal was gored by an elk. So He's you, bleeding out. So the main, the main, one of the main causes of tourniquet's failure is that they don't get pulled tight enough initially, and you try and pull this windlass around. It's kind of like putting your scope... I'll, I'll, good word choice. Yeah, trying to put your scope on and then doing the fine-tuning. If you put your scope on all cockeyed on your barrel, then doing all the fine-tuning in the world is not going to fix it, right? Gotcha. So you're putting this on... Sorry, Cal. Oh. Yeah, just don't hurt yourself, Doc. I won't. <laughs> Crank that thing until his hand turns purple. Ah, so it's supposed to click, but I'm not getting enough. I think Look at this. Oh, Science it, at it work. Well, oh, that was good. Good, <laughs> was good, good observation, Yanni. And then you twist this windlass around, and it will stop the bleeding. But usually these will click. And I think it's oh, and then it's you gotta, Velcro that windlass yeah. down. Yeah, his exactly. clothes are twisted. No, who clothes in the world's got around. a leg that big around? A leg that big around? Or an so arm? I feel like your tourniquet could be trimmed oh, down. There are some big folks out there. Yeah, dude. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but they're not going to be... Backpacking, so these With a leg like that, yeah, for sure. You're you're right about that. Less are just like extraordinarily powerful. Yeah, so those will you could fit. You could tourniquet my my head, chest area. <laughs> you could tourniquet me around the armpits with this tourniquet. Not advisable. Yeah, yeah. You don't tourniquet neck wounds. Neck wounds, junctional <laughs> areas don't work. No, you don't want to do that. But what we learned this morning, right, is like a a huge part of this like triple C deal coming on is mass casualty events. Right, so you got a big variety of folks in a random mm-hmm. spot. Mm-hmm. So the way, so I'm sorry, but this thing still doesn't make any sense to me. So, so it should be said, I think. Um, Brody's tourniquet and me I'll now. Do, I'll do my leg. No, do no, no, leg. do my arm. All right. I can only learn when something is uh, uh, like you know. So well, uh, think of a good injury for me, Cal. What happened to me? Uh, Brody is working on your forearm. So this is your classic chainsaw injury right yeah. here. If we get the video Tur- working, people will be able to hurt to check this out. Yeah, tourniquets, tourniquets hurt is no, one thing. Brody, Jesus, it's not cut that bad. <laughs> that's how you're supposed to do it. So yeah, but when on. does that little cranker come into play? Then now you do it. Once that's as tight as you get it, then you crank it's it down. Hurt if I do it hard enough. Give me one like portion of a crank because I try no, on, on the windlass there. Oh, and this the windlass you're you're cranking that thing until yep, you that's see. Good. The no, blood and just put it, hook it in now. Then how's the anchor the windlass in? Right there. I feel like we're talking about sailing. Yep, just like that. Yep, perfect. Oh, yeah. And you can crank that windlass down way tighter. And usually, oh. but you're cranking the windlass until you see the blood flow stop. slow or stop. Dude, I want to yeah. throw one of these on someone who's bleeding so bad. It's uh, very satisfying to help save somebody's life with some one of those. Yep, for sure. So we just had there. You, oh, that one clicked. That's why I didn't because nice it was. Job, I think it was it. it was clicked. That's why I didn't. Go I might start carrying one of these just because I want to do it to someone. So I should say, you know, w- w- you know, 
Anyone see. running around with firearms out in the woods, you feel should have one of these. Correct. Yep. I bought them for my uh, hunting group as a, you know, every year we get each other presents of some variety. It can be commemorative knives or whatever, or, you know, nice bottle of. Well, guys, they're always jabbing arrows through their legs and stuff. Too. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly any kind of penetrating wound, I think you should, if you can be exposed to that. Um, All right, I'm switching over. I'm going to start carrying one. I like it. So we did the Stop the Bleed course today, which is a course that um, was created by the American College of Surgeons after the New Newtown, Connecticut shooting okay. um, at Sandy Hook Elementary. And so basically the surgeons in Connecticut, were the trauma surgeons said, look, we need to do something about this. How are we going to do public outreach and prevent loss of life pre-hospital? And so... They met, they put out four papers, and they created this Stop the Bleed campaign where anybody um, who has some degree of like medical background, anybody from a respiratory therapist to a dentist to a chiropractor, doctor, nurse, EMT, lifeguard, ski patrol, can get certified as an instructor, and then you can teach people how to apply you know, direct pressure to stem massive bleeding and apply tourniquets. This is all in an effort to mobilize our first responder base to basically the lay public. So if a shooting happens, like, or a, like, for instance, a bombing happens, like in that Boston. That marathon one. Yeah, that the one Boston that marathon. So yeah. this, that happened, I can't remember what year that happened, but they saw the effects of bystanders applying tourniquets and saving lives. And those people oh. were not using, they were using belts and improvised tourniquets and they were not perfectly placed, but they still stemmed the bleeding and those people were whisked off to trauma centers right nearby. Yeah. But in these- See that thing again, Brody. So- there's a big movement to mobilize the public, just like for CPR, teaching people how to use AEDs, how to do um, massive hemorrhage control. And unfortunately, you know, this is the world we live in, and it's uh, it's a scary reality. But, you know, like our parents, they had to do the duck and cover thing for the Cold War, right? They were going to duck under the desks if there was going to be a nuclear yeah, holocaust. Your school desk on the Ruskies. For sure, which would not work. But, you know, this is... No, you've got to make like the Red Dawn kids and head up and hunt mule deer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... What um, brand is this? That is a... Uh, and I'm not I'm not paid by them at all, but that's a Sam XT. And I, re- I remember... You so like this kind? Sam Company, they... Um, when we would do wilderness medicine training in... Um, in medical school and college, you know, I would write them and say, hey, could you guys give me some some splints? And, you know, we're a bunch of poor med students with a lot of debt. And they would send me some stuff for for them. And so, uh, you know, there's a variety of different choices. Uh, I think people should explore them. But it's definitely different than so the that's ones. the same, like Sam splint yep. and stuff. Which is like something that. you also say you should be carrying in your kit. Yep. If you're I right. can't get it open, Brody. So that just, that'll just click. So here it'll... Here. It's not a single use, is it? No, 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 no. No, no. Brody can't get it open. Here, it doesn't click here. I got it. So anyway, you said uh a Sam Splint. Sam we, Splint. We should be carrying those around too. And there's a um there's another one that's more commonly carried now because they were like one of the so it'll click like that. Got it. So that's and then you just lift it up like that. So it's it's the pressure created on that that oh. makes it and you just lift it up like that. So um, the Cat 7, which is, uh, they have seven generations of them. Those are the ones I think primarily are used in uh, combat medicine and and also uh, like police officers and stuff will carry those. But I think these are probably going to be more popularized. So part of the course is you have a model uh, with like a, it's like a fake thigh with a, with a big gash in it and a bullet wound. And you can practice on that. And then once you do it a couple times, then you're you're good to go. I mean, it's... It's like learning. It's much more simple than CPR for sure. 
Um, it's kind it's of so, funny, the fake thigh with the wounds in it. Mm-hmm. You jam your fingers in those wounds. It, uh, Brody and I were sitting next to each other and I'm like, yeah, that is, we know that feeling. <laughs> like fishing around for yep. a bullet or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That so, trauma flesh feel. Yeah. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater applying for tags each year in the west can be daunting yeah i apply for everything everywhere it's daunting you have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply well this is a thing of the past now onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters this tool helps organize the data that matters makes comparing hunt options easy and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools free for all on x hunt elite members not an elite member well let's fix that use code meat eater to receive 20 percent off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this is an app i use literally every day i use it for every aspect of hunting scouting trapping you name it hey i'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the meat eater podcast which is poncho outdoors the reason i'm excited is i buy their shirts anyways I don't, I listen, man, I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like to, I just buy myself online and I love their shirts. Max that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day. I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting. Not not all baggy. Better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability. And way comfortable. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. Yeah. What else is good to have? 
So I think something like a SAM splint, because musculoskeletal injuries are very common. A splint? A splint, yeah. So they have these malleable splints that are made of, they're basically aluminum that has a little bit of padding on it. And the guy that invented them um, was a trauma surgeon from Vietnam, and he specialized in orthopedics when he came back and um, was playing with, this is a connection, juicy fruit wrapper, and was folding the foil and decided that if you fold it, a number of ways it gets more stiff. And so that's how he created these. And we see those coming all the time. There's there's knockoff versions, but I'm pretty sure they made the first one. Um, but I, I feel like here's the, what you run the risk of. People aren't going to carry a splint. So you guys do, so the, the type of hunting that you guys do, you're, you're going, from what I see, I mean, you guys move, a, you cover a lot of ground and you move far. You don't generally have like big, horse brought in camps, right? Like, mm-hmm. but people that are running operations where you're horsing in people and gear, like having a, a medical kit, the size of a toolbox is not unreasonable to have some of that stuff in it. And a lot of this stuff is pretty lightweight for the benefit in, in any medical kit. You want multiple use items in it. You don't just want a one-off other than something like a tourniquet is a, is a one-off valuable thing. You know, um, having things like some hypodermic needles, you could dig splinters out of your finger, having appropriate medications. I think, you know, I was talking to Brody about this. You have a, a pill box and you label it um, aspirin, uh, acetaminophen slash Tylenol, ibuprofen slash Motrin, Imodium for diarrhea, and then Zofran, which is a, or Ondansetron, which is for uh, vomiting. Yeah. You know, so you know, I carry a, I carry single serving two tablet. Uh, twin tablet Benadryls too. Yep. That's not unreasonable too. So the, the pharmacology that you really need to have with you is, is a lot of it's over the counter and it's, it's pretty easy. You can get really great pain control with doing uh, alternating Tylenol and Motrin and people don't really realize. Or Can but, you explain, cause you explained that to yeah. us yesterday, why you carry Tylenol and yeah. ibuprofen. And so it, it, so for everybody that's listening to all medications have trade names. Tylenol is a trade name. Acetaminophen is the generic name and it's, in my experience, personally, I just buy the generic right. Meyer, Meyer brand. So acetaminophen is Tylenol. So when you alternate them, you're supposed to take them, uh, like you're supposed to take acetaminophen every six hours. And you're supposed to take between 500 milligrams. Um, sometimes you can take 1,000 milligrams, but you want to stay below 4,000 milligrams a day. Otherwise, you can hurt your liver. So a lot of people will take medications and then all of a sudden, an hour five or six, their tooth is throbbing again. They feel awful. And they're like, it takes a while for the new medication to set back in. In between that, what you could do is you could take a different medicine that works in a different way. So Tylenol works at the central level at your brain to reduce pain and fever. And ibuprofen is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory that helps work at the site to prevent um, swelling, pain, inflammation. So you're using two different meds that work two different mechanisms of action to help control your pain. So if you had somebody in your, your party who you guys are eight miles out and they broke their ankle, getting them good pain control can turn that situation from you can extract yourself, put a splint on, you can hobble out with a, with a crutch versus we got to carry you out because we can't get good pain control. And when you have to carry somebody out, which I've never had to physically do on a wilderness trip, but I've done in my training it is an arduous ordeal and it puts the whole party at risk to have to huck somebody out. Yeah. Very, very difficult. P- dead weight is uh, horrible to have to carry around. I mean, you guys know all that. Like, oh, I mean, yeah, put in a backpack. We've been uh, pulling Brody along for years now. <laughs> yeah. Not <laughs> dead weight. Animal wise, let's talk about it. What, uh, you know what a cam strap is? Like an NRS strap? Do not. Hmm. Boat strap. Boat strap. 
like just a like a like a hitch like a like um oh, okay. it's basically not... it's a yeah it's very similar to this where the buckle has teeth that allow that strap to slide primarily one direction and it rides okay. on a spring is it like one of those where you go like this like crank something on my top no, of my, no, no, that's of my a ratchet car. strap ratchet strap so that's all i know yeah cam strap's different mm-hmm. i was wondering if that'd be a good tourniquet depends how wide it is right so one you, inch one you inch get one and a half so one and a half is probably better than one, but you could crank you could crank that down for sure. Yeah, I mean people make tourniquets out of belts and shirt sleeves and all sorts of found material, but it it the main goal is to stop the the arterial flow to that distal injury. Yeah. So, uh, you know what I carry? What do you carry? Well, I just want I'm, I'm telling you, but I'm also checking with you. Yeah, sure. I do the Tylenol. Mm-hmm. I uh, ibuprofen. Mm-hmm. I buy a single serving. Those little square foil packets with two pills each. Yeah. I use an OR organizer, backcountry organizer. And it's yeah. got a pocket that is almost like made for this. Mm-hmm. I put a bunch of Tylenols in there, a bunch of ibuprofens in there. As far as I know, they don't make a Modi Made in those packets, but I buy the push packets of a Modi Made Which is nice. We were talking about this yesterday. Yeah. Like, it's nice to have the label on there, the dose, so you know what you're doing. Yeah, the ideal ones are the kind where when you tear the square off, it carries the information on mm-hmm. it so you don't get... Because a lot of times I'll look in there and I don't know what I got. Yeah. Then and you're just handing stuff out. Yeah, yeah. So Modi Made <laughs> and then I carry Benadryl because I'm always afraid of someone getting... Uh, Allergic reaction. Some kind of reaction. Yeah, un- unfortunately. You, should, you feel like I should add in some uh, Zofran. I would for because... Puking. Yep, for puking because I, I have been... Um, all of my experiences with that have not been actually in the field. They've been pre being in the field and um, having diarrheal illness so bad that you can't feel like you, you, you can't walk because you're so weak is a profound experience. It, it feels awful. Um, and so if you have some emodium or you have some antibiotics that you might, you know, get your doctor to prescribe to you ahead of time. Like if you guys are going to hunt in South America, I would say, hey, write me a script for uh, Keflex in case I get a bad skin injury, like an infection, and like some either Augmentin or Bactrim or, or Cipro for bad diarrheal illness. Yeah, that's the one I usually get. I get it bef- like when you go in to get your vaccines checked, mm-hmm. your vaccinations checked, mm-hmm. I'll get the traveler's diarrhea yeah. prescription yeah. ahead of time. Yeah, the in only anticipation of. So the only thing, the only thing with that. So, and I, I remember this is not, it's not a wilderness thing, but we were traveling after medical school. We were in Egypt, and it was like a group trip that we went together, and it was fun. And we all ate in Cairo at this like beautiful place, and we were looking out over this huge park. And we decided to have some appetizers. We had some tabbouleh. You're not supposed to eat like the fresh stuff. You're only supposed to eat the cooked stuff because basically, the water has feces in it in certain areas or, you know, in, in different parts of the world, uh, the sanitation is not quite the same, or you're just not used to that kind of bacteria like India or whatever. I'd probably get diarrhea immediately. And like six of us were just crapping our brains out. And, um, I was the only one that had the Cipro. So I had people like knocking on my door in the middle of the night, like, Hey, could you (laughs) try to spare a little Cipro (laughs) and the real dirty kid in your groups doing just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. We had our kids licking the floor at the airport on the way here. It's a great way to prevent illness. Yeah. Um, but the Cipro, so it, it changes. So the bacterial resistance patterns change and, and also side effect profile are, is different. So with Cipro, one of the things, it's a low rate. It's like less than 1%. You can have a tendinopathy that develops after taking even a short course where you can rupture your Achilles heel, which for something what? like- Whoa. Yeah, it's really messed. Yeah. So- 
it's a very effective thing for treating diarrheal illness, but I try and avoid it um, unless I absolutely need it for um, for somebody who has an allergy to say Augmentin or Bactrim. Um, so I would probably not recommend that uh, at this point, you know, given the amount of activity level you guys do. And I like, you know, so the thing in medicine is that you have studies and you have anecdote. And so anecdote speaks wonders. So I saw like two or three cases of it within six months and I was like, oh man, this is, it really affects you, you know, when you see enough cases like that, even though it's not, the preponderance isn't that high, you know, and if there's a better alternative, why not without those kinds of side effects, why not try that? Do they use Cipro to treat beaver fever? I don't know uh, what so they Crypt, like Giardia and Cryptosporidia. They use uh, to treat Giardia. I believe they use uh, metronidazole, which is a different kind of antibiotic. It works on that particular kind of bacteria. Uh, it's a Giardia is a protozoa. Mm-hmm. Would they give you that just to carry around with you? Depends on. I mean, it's not unreasonable to ask your doctor and to go and say, "I'm going here. I'm doing this." what would you recommend? I mean, this is kind of a, especially in this type of area. I mean, if you guys are in Montana or Colorado and they deal with hunters that are doing things like you're doing, then they should be familiar with, if you go overseas, they can give you on the CDC website, what vaccines you need, you know? So, um, it's not unreasonable to ask ahead of time, um, for small prescriptions like that. Cause you know, like you might not need, um, you know, if you had a, a prescription for uh, cephalexin for a skin injury or uh, cellulitis that developed, you could start taking that. And then as you got back out, you know, go see your doc and say, he'll say, keep taking it, or this is getting worse. You need different antibiotics. You have to go to the hospital. So um, it's kind of a bridge, you know. Man, we didn't even get into flesh eating bacteria. It's a rare. You have to come back out. I've, oh, so many, so much we could cover. No I'm, one knows this, but we're working on, we've never even mentioned this. I don't want to tell too much. Secret project. We're working on a secret project. Top secret, I heard. Top secret book project. And uh, this will give a little bit of a hint. Yeah, if you're smart, you figure it out. This top secret <laughs> book project is divided into... Did I say book? This top secret project <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is divided into 10 components. One of those components, uh, Dr. Lazara is uh, consulting on us with. Love to help. Anything I can do. Um, we never talked about flesh-eating bacteria, which you think is just a freak. It's a freak. Yeah, it's it's a scary thing. You know, um, it's a very rare thing, but we do see it. It's becoming more and more prevalent with the more and more diabetes we see. And oh. the main thing that you worry about is somebody who has, like, pain out of proportion to a wound that looks like it. The ones I've seen, the guy had an innocuous wound on his thigh. It just very clean-looking. It was a small puncture wound. I don't even, he didn't even know how he got it. And he lost his entire leg and almost like part of his abdomen. Um, and it's a, it's a terrible thing. The bacteria will glide along the fascial planes, just like when you're, you know, processing a deer. The, yeah, along I, wanted the muscle, talk, I wanted to talk about this too. It will glide along the fascial planes and just travel up and down. And it's the main, the main treatment is operative debridement. So it's not antibiotics. I mean, we give the antibiotics, but they need to go to the OR to get the limb cut off or the area debrided and cut out. Yeah. It's it's a scary thing. And so in, in my profession, we are very focused on risk versus benefit and thinking worst case scenario a lot. And so if we see somebody with that, we will call the surgeon and we'll say, I need you to come take a look at this guy and give me your opinion. What do you think? And, um, you know, a lot of times they'll just take him right to the OR or we can do a bedside. We'll just do a bedside cut 
And if like dirty dishwater appearing fluid comes out and the tissue's like soft, you put your finger in there and it's just like fucking pudding, then that's a high chance they have that. Yeah. That's yeah, just beyond reason. It I is. I feel like if you go in and they're like, okay, something really serious and they take off your entire leg, that's where it ends. That's where like reason, okay, yes. Okay, it was very serious. You had to take off my entire leg, but then when you like throw in the and part of the abdomen, yeah, that's like where it gets beyond reasonable. <laughs> yeah. It's like no, no, like very serious. That's when things start getting leg. serious. But it God. moves super quick. It moves super quick. Yeah, yeah. like under you know twenty four hours or less, and you're you're hurting really bad. I mean, I think my gripe with the fascial planes that you described is the way when you um, shoot a deer, mm-hmm. the way clotting will travel. In those fascial planes. Well, also air too, right? So you feel all those air bubbles, like, know. you know, shoot something in the chest and then you're, you're looking at air bubbles in their yeah, back Yeah, like, why is there like, why when I take the front shoulder off, is there like clotting all the way up into the neck, the way it travels between those things? I, I just think it's because of the massive destruction. Like you expose that, the bleeding happens everywhere. And so we'll get, sometimes we'll get people that have, you know, pop a lung, uh, lead a pneumothorax, and then you get this thing called subcutaneous emphysema, which is basically air slash feels like Rice Krispie treats under the skin. Yeah. You can feel it on your deer, too, when oh, you kill yeah, the deer. Oh, yeah, sure, man. Yeah. And you'll feel the deer, you'll feel up the neck and yeah. towards the face, and you'll feel that, like, kind of Rice Krispie treat. And That'll happen when people puncture a lung? Yeah. Yep. It's scary because, you know, sometimes their face can swell or, you know, it makes it difficult to put a tube in to treat it because, you know, they might be an obese person, they have a lot of fat tissue, and then all of a sudden now you're dealing with air and you're, like, having to smush, basically smush their chest like you're pushing on a, like a, like a bubble wrap package to, to get down to the chest wall, you know? A guy just wrote in, I'm trying to get permission to put this photo. I'm sure I'll be able to get permission to put it. I'm going to put it on Instagram. Mm. So if you go to, um, at Steven Ranella, you'll find this photo by the time you listen to this, hopefully. He hit a mule deer with mm-hmm. his bow. Yeah. And wanted to give it a while before he tracked it. And he goes up to the top of the hill just to glass around for a while. Mm-hmm. And eventually, not far from where he shot, glass is up a buck standing next to a tree. Mm-hmm. Then the more he looked at it, something was weird about it. <laughs> He'd hit the buck. The buck ran down the hill, must have misstepped, and impaled itself oh, no. through the ribs on a broken branch that went in one side and puckered the hide out on the other side. Oh, man. Talk about a bad way to go. He had to pull it off the stop. Which is, which is a tree man term for a I broken do, limb. I do not know that term. <laughs> I used to question whether it was a real word or not, but I've come to accept it. Pulled okay. it off the stob, and he sent us a picture of the deer hanging on the stob, and then the stob with the deer removed. And that mm. deer was all the way through it. Yeah. Puckering out the hide. Yeah. That's a that's a sad way to go for, for any creature, unfortunately. As a last thing... You're gonna have to come back because we didn't even scratch the surface. Well, I don't think like I wasn't very I wasn't like a very good host because I didn't I, I wasn't very efficient. You guys are I mean you, you didn't ever did you ever take a class in hosting because you guys all do a pretty darn good job I think because school of hard knocks man. Well, I mean you know conversation can be can be complicated sometimes. A lot of dead there's not a lot of dead space on your podcast for sure. No, I try to do a good hosting job, but I didn't get to my I didn't like get to everything I wanted to get to. Missing Giannis's guidance. I know. Yanni. What do you think about that, Yanni? <laughs> Which is what he's out there doing right now. <laughs> yeah. So can you get out that thing you had you were showing me what you need to do if you want to stay alive a long time? Oh yeah. Uh the C D C thing. Yeah. I'll pull it up. Dr. Lazar is going to walk you through 
what you need to do. You want an American to, uh, male? Hit us with an American male. Okay. All right. An I American just... male wants to live a long time. Yeah. So if you go to the CDC website, it's a wonderful governmental organization. They can they give a lot of stats. So they track causes of death across the country. And so can, can I interrupt you real quick? Sure. Yeah. Would it make sense that the uh, that the antibiotic I'm on plus the 800 milligram ibuprofens are giving me a lot of gastrointestinal upset? For sure. Uh, so ibuprofen. Can I quit the antibiotic? N- depends what you're on. We got. Eh, I can't remember. It's like a couple word, a couple letters and words. Probably, yeah, okay. Keep in mind this room's not as well ventilated as it used to be. It's not like that, man. It's different. Okay, good. So, so a lot of times, so antibiotics can cause a lot of GI distress, so upset stomach or diarrhea. About one in five people get diarrhea with taking antibiotics. So, uh, I never had this before, but it's it's not fun. Not a lot of um, not a lot of great evidence, but eating yogurt every day or taking probiotics. They told me to do that. Could could prevent diarrhea? Is it a, a cocked? Is it a, if I quit the ibuprofen, which I'm thinking about doing anyway? Is that going to help, or is it the antibiotic that's doing it? It could be a combo of both, because ibuprofen has side effects. And it not only stops bad inflammation, but it can also stop, there's such a thing as good inflammation, which is uh, in, in the same pathway. It helps make uh, mucus in your stomach to help mm-hmm. protect your stomach from the acid the stomach produces. And so um, it inhibits that as well. So you can see people who come in and chronically take ibuprofen and give themselves a stomach ulcer. Hmm. So I would recommend cutting your dose back to 400 or 600 milligrams because 800 is I'm nothing. done with the ibuprofen. You could just But I got Tylenol. four more days of this antibiotic, but I want to quit now. Uh, it's generally recommended that you continue them till the full course is done because you don't want to leave the, the resistant bacteria sitting there in your skull there. Well, I'm taking the antibiotic prophylactically. I don't have an infection. Uh, oh, no, I did have an infection. Yeah, I'd probably That's take That's why I cut my tooth out. This is So I have a friend who I like very much, a guy that I'm I'm – we're going to go, we're hunting together soon, deer hunting, and he's a urologist. And he says a lot of times- You guys bring tourniquets? I'm going to bring, I got one in my little camp. Yeah, for okay. sure. So he, he often says he's a urologist. So he deals with a lot of like 60 year olds that don't want their prostate operated on. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, his line is, we don't have to do anything, but we should. Yeah. <laughs> and it just leaves it to that and lets it hang. And so you don't have to do anything, but what, you know, but you should. And what I would do is probably finish them. Take Tylenol instead. Give your stumps a little bit of an ease. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite parts about this tooth process, hold what y'all was going to ask you about, about sure. staying alive a long time, is they came out and presented the price, the cost of all, this whole thing to me mm. in an a la carte fashion. Dude. As though um, I would get halfway into this and quit. Yeah. Like, De- it costs this much for this part. Then it'd be like it, if you're buying a car and they're like, well, the tires are this. Dude, they- The engine's this. The the doors are this. The dentistry. Like, I'll take the whole damn thing. The dentistry <laughs> operation they've got, and it, it, essentially, it's a different kind of business. I mean, they have an infinite demand, and they have essentially said we're taking cash, and so it's a very expensive endeavor to get major dental work done. Yeah, and so, in, insurance is a bummer on dental for sure. And so, all the more reason to brush your teeth and floss. You know, you don't want those problems. You know, it's prevention is worth a pound of cure. Okay. Help everyone stay alive a long time. All right. So, uh, first thing, don't smoke. Uh, second thing, wear your seatbelt, um, stay fit and active. If you look at these, um, CDC websites, you can see the leading causes of death. And so for people our age in the, you know, mid thirties, forties, the number one thing that used to kill all of us, um, between like five and 45 was motor vehicle collisions. So unintentional injuries, but in the most recent decade, uh, that, has overtaken been overtaken by opioid overdoses. How could that possibly insane. be true? It's insane, man. It's it's an epidemic for a reason, and it's um, it's an unfortunate 
there's some interesting podcasts you can listen to as how that came about. And it, it you know, it is a a tragedy. More people in our age demographic. Yep. Well, I just left it. No, I'm 45. Yeah. Yeah. More people in our age demographic are dying from getting too hopped up on painkillers yep. than are dying from getting in car crashes. Yep. It's insane. Um, and I was, on, I was on those things a couple days ago. So the, the rates of addiction can, you know, some people have very addictive personalities. And so being on these pills for, uh, it's, I've read everywhere from a couple weeks to a couple months and you'll be physically addicted to them. And it's not, so being physically addicted is different than the mental addiction. So you will go through withdrawals if you stop taking them. I took a tablet twice. No. Yeah. You're fine. Well, no. Yeah. And I was like very much opposed to taking it another time. Yeah. Because I was like, wow, did I sleep good? Yeah. So I'm like, eh, it's a slippery slope, man. Dude, I know people that have had dental. And, and so I think part of the problem, too, is that, like, we just didn't, up until the last decade or five years, we just don't get taught how to treat acute or chronic pain in medical school. They don't teach you that. And now there's courses where you learn how to do it. And our residents, we spend a lot of time saying, this is what we typically get for this. Because a lot of times you would just see see one, do one. You know, you just do what your mentor did. And you'd give somebody for a knee surgery, you give them... 60 Norco or 60 Percocet because you don't want them to have to call you because they're in a lot of pain. So you give them extra, right? So then they yeah. have 40 Percocets sitting in their closet and then their grandkid comes over and steals those and then goes to a party. And, you know, it, it's just a multifaceted epidemic. Um, and the healthcare industry is trying to correct that. And I think that, you know, there's there's blame that can be thrown around everywhere, but I think we're we're trying to correct it. Have you seen the documentary, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart? I have not. I will a little bit in there. look it up. It's though. about a musician, but mm-hmm. there's a little bit in there about Percocet. Yeah, it's it's he the, likes the way it makes music sound. Yeah, man, everybody's everybody's <laughs> looking for a drug. I mean, whether you're filling it with McDonald's or alcohol or cigarettes or religion or whatever, everybody's looking to trying to fill some sort of void in their life and 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 process those emotions. And you know, we see lots of unhealthy coping mechanisms, but there's plenty of healthy ones. You know, and um, you know, if you struggle with something like that not only there's a whole armamentarium of people that are willing and ready to help at all hours of the day, social workers, primary care doctors, emergency, you know, we're, these people went into this for this reason. And it's a big, you know, you have a lot of valuable people that, that have these struggle with these problems, you know? So, so it used to be that if you want to stay alive, between the ages of whatever and forty five, you didn't want to get in a car crash. So we don't now wanna, you don't want to get in a car crash and you don't want to get hooked, hooked on, on pills. Opioids. Yeah. So wear your seatbelt, don't get hooked on pills, right? And don't. then what comes next? Then what's gonna kill you? Then unfortunately you see a, a uptick of malignant neoplasms or, or cancer in the middle ages, like fifty to sixty five. That's what gets you then. That and that so that's like basically that's kind of that's behavioral, you know, if you're smoking a lot, if you smoke or you, you are obese, it increases your risk of cancer if you're obese because um, fat is, you know, produces hormones that your body gets exposed to. So it, it can be lifestyle choices that expose you to that, or it could be just a bad genetic draw. And so being somewhat lucky in life is you know, nothing you can do about that. So cars kill you, then your genes kill you. And then um, and then it's There's, cardio. I just, I just worked up a little chunk of bone. Yep. I'm actually grind, I'm grinding it up right now with my teeth. I think you'll be okay. You're good. No, not my own. Some other dudes. I hear yeah. that. Um, and then after that, it's cardiovascular disease, which um, the only way to really – so some of that is genetic. At what age is that going to kill you? Like 65 plus. I mean, we see – it depends. You know, we see people who are 35 who use cocaine or smoke a lot, who have bad family history, who get heart attacks. And, and you told me I probably don't need to worry about dying from that. You, so, because you're so active, I mean, you know, 
I don't think people realize the uh, so everybody knows that smoking is bad for your lungs, but I don't think people realize that smoking is bad for the vessels around your heart. They harden early. Oh, and so that's I think people don't realize um, how that can affect you. So Yanni used to smoke. Yeah, I hear he used to chew too. It's uh, what do you think about that, Yanni? I don't leave home without it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so after the cardiovascular disease, uh, then it's, um, falling. You're saying fall. Yeah. I think it's fall. Yeah. It's falling. Someone told me recently that once you hit a certain age and you break your hip, Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're dead within a month. Yeah, because of all the comorbidities that come with it. You, so it's kind of like sharks, right? So or fish, you know, Co- they stop morbidity. Comorbidity. That's a good one. Yeah, it was something like nine. I can't remember. It was some staggering thing. Like once you're 78 or mm-hmm. 75, and you break your hip, you have a 90 percent chance of being dead in a month or yep. something. And it's really scary because you see you see these 80 year old young you know 80 year old ladies come in who you know they break their hip and they don't realize how how this is like one of the last notches sometimes you know and it's it's really profound because if you stop moving I and mean, you're like they come in and you're like you're statistically you're done but you're not saying that I mean you're saying like we're gonna get you fixed up we're gonna try the best we can and I don't think they realize how serious something like that is you don't say 90 percent chance you're done no 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 yeah we no. don't that's uh, going back to the how you want your grandma treated that's not a good good approach. But I think, uh, so people don't realize how a body in motion stays in motion. And I think it's not only for your brain, if you're continually using your brain, but also your body. And everybody was stressing like, oh, you got to run all the time and cardiovascular fitness. But really, my wife could attest this too, because she's a doc. You know, we see strength uh, as a big issue. Like older people that just can't stand up out of a chair, right? You can't get up and go. Uh, And the more sedentary you become, the less your blood flows, the more you eat, the more you just... Like a shark in water, you got to stay moving all the time. Whatever it is, yoga is terrific. Um, strength training and some cardiovascular is the way to stay. For the, That's what I plan on doing from what I've seen. So wear your seatbelt. Don't get hooked on opioids. Yep. Have good genes. Yep. Stay active. Correct. Don't smoke. Don't smoke. That's the – and then eat, eat things that spoil, right? You won't want – like you were talking the other day. <laughs> Like, eat things to spoil. You're talking about the brown food, right? You can watch a time-lapse video of some fast food sit out in the woods, and it looks the same three weeks later than it does on Still day one. Still tastes great. Yeah. I bet it does. <laughs> I bet it does. It tastes like salt and fat. It's preservatives, right? Yeah. So. my I was trying to explain my, and I don't adhere to this in a strict fashion, but I was mm-hmm. trying to explain my diet. The other day we were having an argument about fad diets. Mm-hmm. Well, I was marveling at how yeah. fad diets... Um, they only die when they get replaced. Yeah. Are you? There's never a period of no fad diet. Yeah. There's all like a fad diet lives. It's like it's like if, when you're a king. Yeah. In the old days, like a king or an emperor lives until it gets killed by. Yeah. An up and coming king or emperor, and fad diets only get fad diets only get killed by a new replacement. There's never like we never take a year off of fad diets. Yeah, man. So the reason there the reason there's more and more diets that are coming around. I mean, if there was one diet that worked for everybody, then that's what people would do. You know, but the the thing is it's all about calories in, calories out, right? So you have to burn more calories than you put in in order to burn fat. In order to do that, you have to exercise, which is the hardest part. People don't can't or won't or they're stressed or they work a ton. I got kids. I know how hard it is to fit in working out. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, yeah. so the diet are, I'm trying to construct is this. 
Are you in ketosis? Sorry, sorry to interject, but are you in ketosis yet? Because that's the big one now. You got to get in ketosis. I don't follow, it's but like, I can tell you what my diet is. Sure, yeah. <laughs> that it should look like it was chopped out of a fish or animal, meaning you're looking at it. Yeah. And you can tell that it was chopped out of a fish or an animal. Mm-hmm. Or it looks like it grew out of the dirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they talk. Yeah. That's a diet. For sure. Well, it, that's tra- not even a fad diet. That's just a diet. You're talking about whole eating, right? You're talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. Whole- talking about look. It, that's it. That's just, like I don't want anybody interpreting it. So it's like if what you, do you think how you like it. I'm just envisioning all the things you've uh, excluded from your diet. Most of which can just <laughs> only be found at fancy restaurants. But sure. No, it's it's a it's a hype. I'm not going to do it. I'm just saying I feel like that's when I feel best. The yeah, real yeah. food. Diet. The most time when yeah. I'm like when I lay out my kids' dinner at night. Yeah. I'm most happy when I look and be like, yeah, it looks like stuff that you chopped out of animals and grew out of the dirt. Yeah. I mean. It's probably good for them. So I often tell patients in the simplest terms, just eat around the perimeter of the grocery store. Everything that's on the outside. <laughs> don't go my, in the middle. My doctor. Don't go in the middle. My, go my, on the that's awesome. Yeah. I've yep. heard it before. My I've doctor told me that. that. Stay away from the middle aisle. The frozen stuff, the, yeah. like the processed yep. stuff. You eat what God and nature made, not what man yeah. made. You just I, go lap the grocery store. Mm-hmm. I get the frozen veggies. Because I just well, yeah. yeah that yeah, looks like it yeah. got shot, grew out of the dirt for yeah. sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm certainly no saint. I love potato chips, but you know, I try and that doesn't look like it grew out of the dirt. No, they're bad for you. They're not good. But unless you get the kind, um, look Pringles. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like a leaf. Yeah, <laughs> it came out of a machine. Um, if, uh, let's get a concluder from Yanni. I have a good looking ant. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Yanni. Cal. <laughs> You uh, gotta come back, man. We've yeah. we've, we've burned up a lot of time. We didn't even get into Lyme's here. disease. Yeah, no, yeah, we covered that with the, we that. covered that with the infect. We had an epidemiologist for that. Yeah, I know. We're trying to do a one-two punch. We had yeah. a, we had like yeah. an infectious disease guy. Now we're trying to have an injury guy. Yeah, so um, I think that's super relevant. I mean, listening to your story about your experience with Lyme, I mean, that was fascinating to hear that about your elbows went numb and whatnot. That's that kind of stuff is. I mean, we don't fully understand how the body works, and that is a very squirrely disease. I don't. It, it's crazy. That's a great word for it. Mm. Squirrely. Yeah, very scary too. Kelly, uh, you got any concluders? You a tourniquet man? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to make. Like I said, like I, I just feel like I could go back and just start a little smarter and a little safer instead of the trial and error existence I've led, because uh, it's just harder now. Because, like I said, every time I look back, if somebody's like, well, you know, you shouldn't do that. Oh, all the dumb stuff you do all the time. Yeah. Not you, not you, but people. But I'm like, God, I'm so much better at than I was 10 years ago. I'm so yeah. much safer than I was. I think about this stuff so much more. Um, Can I tell you a quickie? Yeah. We grew up next to a dude. They're down the road from a dude. Uh, Dan Morgan and Mike Morgan. Two brothers. Very different brothers, but one of them fixed up an old snowmobile, and I can't remember what happened. He had a problem where he wound up that he would take a mason jar <laughs> and fill it full of gas. Perfect. <laughs> I'm not joking. He he had a mason jar full of gas with a lid on it, a ball cap on it. Not a ball cap, like a baseball cap, yeah. but a ball brand cap, yeah. and a hole in it. He would fill that jar full of gas and carry it between his legs with the fuel line going into the jar of gas. Come on. That was his fuel tank between his legs. Oh. Mm. Ugh. 
And that <laughs> barely warranted comment. <laughs> We're going. So you do stupid uh, stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in, in regards to the opioids, you know, my uh, grandma just passed away here at um, the end of the summer. And uh, sorry to hear that, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, she had, she had a great run. Um, hard-headed old gal. How old was she? 86, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... She was like vehemently anti uh, drugs, mm-hmm. and she would, you She's know, a Scientologist. Like, no, she just oh. like she was a. She would literally scream at the doctor <laughs> and say, "You're not going to turn me into a goddamn drug addict!" Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, like that. Yeah. Take this yeah. cholesterol pill. Yeah. Okay, lady. I'm and, yeah, I mean, she was like, and if she felt. Because she had to have surgeries and stuff, and, mm-hmm. and if she felt, like, at all doped up, she'd be like, what are you giving me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just, and, I mean, then that's that's the way she expired. Like, she she was with it and fought that stuff until, you know, she she basically, like, went into a pain fog, and then the family got to step in and be like, okay, go ahead, dope her up. Yeah. So we can, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was amazing. It's good to, uh, applaudable in the sense that it's good to ask what people are giving you. Even if you're in that environment, it's nice to ask and say, hey, take some ownership and be like, what are you doing to me? Don't just take everything at face value, you know? But it's like an odd know. thing, like being on the outside, right? We're like, take the pills. I know, yeah. God, I'm not trying to hurt almighty. you. Yeah. yeah. Bro, do you got anything to wrap up? Yeah. I just want to thank Alan because- uh, Adam. Alan. 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 Was I saying Adam earlier? No, you're saying Alan. No. You did, you oh, I was going to be a Michael, but, but um, they settled on a, uh, Alan. Yeah, Al, yeah, no, I just Alan wanted to thank Lazar. you because I didn't uh, say Adam. That's good. No, you did not. Yeah. I feel like I could have made that mistake. That's well, we called Dr. you Doctor Lazaro. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I, I've got I'd gotten kind of complacent about what I was carrying around in my mm-hmm. medical kit and just kind of throwing it in there in the bottom of the pack. Yeah, you know, just I'm like ah, it's there. But now I'm gonna like get a little more serious about looking at it and what's in there mm-hmm. and checking it frequently and, and yeah. things like that. Oh, I've been thinking yeah. this this whole thing. Yeah. I'm like, this weekend. I gotta gotta make a trip yep. to the store here before I hit the road. Yeah, because like stuff goes bad or gets wet or you know yeah. whatever. And people um, definitely people definitely love love gear stuff. Yeah. And this is a, a valuable way to spend some time. And a little bit can go a long way, I think. But uh, my second thing was when when we were talking about how to live to be an old age. Mm-hmm. Something you pointed out that we didn't uh, touch on. And I'm not condoning drinking or being mean to people, but you said. Uh, Angry alcoholics, you know, they can they can go a long time. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, we sometimes we just see people that are able to withstand. You know, some people smoke for five years and they end up with COPD. Some people smoke till they're ninety five and have no breathing problems. So yeah. it's it, a lot of it's genetic. Or yeah. you see people who who treat their bodies like a playground and and live to old age. And but you said being means like being a little means a good thing. You think I you know in reference to the fact that some of the middle aged people I see who end up being diagnosed with cancer. Unfortunately, it's always it's a it's a part of our gallows humor. You know they're just so nice. You right. Know, why would that happen to that person yeah. who's like uh you know a pastor with three kids and super nice and great guy. And he's got pancreatic cancer for no freaking reason. Right. You know, and it's just this ironic, horrible thing that. You, know, you got my see. grandma throwing stuff at you and yeah. accusing yeah. you of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. There you sure, go. he lives in your 90, you know. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's a joke that, you know, you have a little bit of a mean streak. But yeah. you can, you know, 
uh, take it out on a tree stump or something like yep. that. When I was at the dentist the other day, I couldn't see her, but there was an old an old lady in the stall next to me, whatever they call those things, and I heard her like he's like greeting her, and all she has to say to him, she's like, "You're gonna wear gloves and a mask." Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell her you what to do. He's like, so, "Yeah, yeah, you're correct." Yes, yeah. I'm going to. It's good to advocate for yourself. <laughs> we can all do it politely. That's for sure. <laughs> So, All right, uh, you got any final? And if, you're gonna have to come back on, man. Love to, love to. You know who we never give a final thought to? Yanni. No, Phil the engineer never gets oh, say anything. Yeah. No one cares. <laughs> the handsome devil. I appreciate that. I think uh, the reason most people don't care is because I don't have a, a whole lot to bring to the table. Yeah, I don't right. couldn't so, care less what Phil yeah, thinks. No. But yeah, I just want to thank you for uh, for. <laughs> That's for, about for, enough, Phil. Wrap up, Phil. We've heard enough. <laughs> No, let's hear it, Phil, now that you got started. Yeah, no, I mean, I was kind of nervous when that, uh, you went, during the class today, that slide popped up that said, uh, you know, they're warning, disturbing images coming yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think when I, I think of most humans, their natural uh, inclination is to kind of push stuff like horrible injuries out of their heads and like, because it just, it's a massive reminder that we're all just sacks of goo. Yeah, and like, absolutely. <laughs> and like, a, you know, one horrible thing could happen and all the goo could spill out and we mm-hmm. could be dead. But I think it's really important to yeah, at least learn the basics of how to keep the goo in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming in. You should have him comment more often. That's pretty, yeah, I think I want my start. That's pretty good. Young father. He's, he's got children. Good. I yeah, used to think he was true. some kind of playboy. Then I realized he's got kids. Yeah. Keeps quiet about them. Yeah. yeah. Not very proud of them, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, lovely children. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, what do you got any concluders? I would just say, you know, to all of the uh, first responders and and emergency and uh, emergency staff nurses, everybody who's out there who's you know standing standing on the wall in the middle of the night taking care of people. Thank you to everybody that does that, and for all of us hunters out there, please protect yourself, protect your family, um, because you know, like Phil was saying, it only takes one misstep, and we're dealing with a pretty life changing situation. So. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So be safe. Yeah, when you're bragging up how your pack only weighs three pounds. Yeah. And you're watching your buddy bleed out on the side of the hill. Yeah. You you need to, you want to live to hunt another day, basically. You could have had a three pound, three ounce pack and had your tourniquet. Yeah, very good. That's a great point. So, and thank you guys. And I think also too, I mean, what you guys do, what your vision is producing, both for nature, conservation, and hunting is extra positive and I think we'll live on for a long time so I think you guys are doing something really special here so thank you man thank you guys thanks yeah, I look forward to working with you on our secret project secret double triple alright thanks guys Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart 
out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.